So this is No Soul, episode 36. Here we are again. It's the East East Connection. East Side. East Side. Conspicuous by his absence. Out on assignment, our West Side guy, Frank, out doing work. He's a busy guy, man. He's out there on the West Coast. You know, he's probably watching LeBron become the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. You know. He's he's got a lot going on. No might, sold is just one of many projects for him. So, well, I think it might have something to do with something with uh, the rise of Cody Rhodes. He just doesn't want to. He don't <laughs> want to be around for it. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't want to acknowledge him. No pun intended. Acknowledge him. Speaking of acknowledge, and uh, the tribal chief and all that good stuff. Cody Rhodes last night, Monday Night Raw, with Paul Heyman. The story's unfolding, the road to WrestleMania, the roads to WrestleMania. What are you uh what are you thinking after that amazing exchange between Cody and the wise man? Yeah, you guys, um, you know, we we always talk about how we text a lot, you know, during the the shows and stuff. I'm not a big texter, like you guys know that. Like I might say one thing and then you guys go back and forth. But like last night, that was so good that I was compelled to text only you because Frank would have thrown up in his boots. But I mean, you know, the big thing was the story wasn't there, you know, with Cody and Roman. And I mean, it took exactly 10 minutes to get the story there. You know, I mean. Of course, Paul Heyman out there doing his thing because he's just, you know, only one of the greatest talkers in the history of pro wrestling. But once again, man, Cody Rhodes, like when the pressure's on, when, you know, when the big when the lights are shining on him, like rose to the occasion. And I get it. I know people are upset, you know, because the story was with Sami Zayn. And like people want to see Sami Zayn get his shot. As I said last week, briefly, like there's a lot of time before WrestleMania. And now Sami's going to get a shot at Elimination Chamber. And that might not be, you know, ideal what people wanted. Like they wanted him at Mania, but he's getting a shot. But there's another thing where not to go on and on about Cody, but it's like, oh, well, Cody didn't earn it. You know, the person that I watched the rumble with was like oh he's coming in at 30 and he's just gonna win and he didn't earn it cody rhodes has been earning it for 15 years if you want to talk about paying dues look at some of these old rumbles you know we all watch old rumbles to get in the mood for the new royal rumbles at least my friends and i do i'm sure you guys do who are listening look at some of the rumbles when cody went in as stardust and got eliminated immediately and was a a clown and a joke in a lot of these things. This guy has earned his spot, you know, nepotism, you know, that's the big thing. Like, you know, Oh, well, he's Dusty's son. He's, he's past that. He's more than Dusty's son. Randy Orton used to get called out for that. Randy Orton far surpassed his father. All due respect to Bob Orton jr. Cause he was awesome and a great technician, but this is about Cody Rhodes. This is his moment and he's earned it. And like, if you don't like him for whatever reason, that's your prerogative, but don't act like this guy hasn't earned his spot because the, the pressure has been on him since he came to WWE and he fucking 
knocked it out of the park at his debut, his re-debut at WrestleMania. He came back with that gruesome injury, which a lot of dudes would just be like, nah, man, I'm not going to wrestle. He wrestled through it, came back at the Rumble, say what you will, number 30, whatever. He had basically a match with Gunther, and now he had this awesome promo with Paulie. So, I mean, if you don't like him, that's your prerogative. There's a lot of things I don't like in wrestling, but you cannot deny this guy's talent any longer. I'm just sick of hearing about it. Well, yeah, we have to at least acknowledge this this promo exchange between Paul Heyman and and Cody. And a lot of it ties into what you're saying. A lot of people were upset that there's no story. Oh, Sammy is the story. That's what we said. Well, now there's two stories simultaneously happening. Both are super compelling. But the Cody Rhodes story is starting to um, kind of unfold as far as his match with Roman Reigns. And it it looks like the wise man's involved right off the top. And people will also bash the in, the inclusion of Dusty Rhodes in all of Cody's promos and, mm-hmm. and even with Paul Heyman last night. But that's the backbone of this story. And even our man Frank, he wonders why. Why has... Why is it so important that Cody, the second generation wrestler that wanting to win the title, he uh, his father never had. Why is that any different than another second generation wrestler wanting to win the title in the name of his father? Well, it's because they never laid it out that way. When Randy Orton debuted, he didn't say, I want to do what my father, Bob, couldn't do or what my grandfather couldn't do or go down the list. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, Kurt Henning. I want to do what my father, Larry, the ax was never able to do and win the WWF title. Mm-hmm. It's laid out this way by Cody upon his return. Like you said, at WrestleMania, which was a, a smashing success. He's been a draw. Even the numbers are starting to reflect that and their house shows. Supposedly they were very low ticket sales. They announced him for the dates. The tickets went up by four or 5,000. Um, I could sit here and and put Cody over till the cows come home. Some people are just not, like you said, it's not for them. They're not Mm -hmm. fans of the story, but you can't deny what getting back to last night, the exchange between Cody and Paul Heyman. It's great because it's real. Mm -hmm. It's not being forced. Yeah. And like, you know, people always want originality. Here's something original then, right? If it's, if it's, you know, I'm going to do this for my father and my family. Like he said, it's for his, family it's for you know his fans it's for him you know blah 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 like i don't know i get it like the dude went to AEW. here's the thing right so he goes to AEW. the fucking fans turn on him right they don't want to watch him anyway he (laughs) he leaves the company and then they hate him for leaving you know what i mean so it's like a lose loose for this guy like if you don't like him that's cool man like I said, I don't like a lot of dudes. Like, but those same fans, have... those same fans were saying, "Oh, good luck, Cody. You'll be winning the twenty four seven title in a month." Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now look how it's been handled so beautifully. Yeah, so great. And guess what? It wouldn't be unfolding like this if Cody didn't get the reaction he got at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. If he sucked in the match or whatever, he is doing. He's playing his part in this comeback to perfection, and they're actually booking him to perfection. So, like. It's it's a win win for both of these guys so far or for Cody and Triple H or Vince, whoever. Brought I him mean, back. even like I don't know if you saw on Raw, like it's like an event now, like that. He's <clears throat> excuse me, that he's there. They're like and coming up tonight, the Royal Rumble winner, Cody Rhodes, you know, like he's an attraction. I mean, he's yeah. I mean, listen, if you want to 
hate on them, hate on them. I don't even like to use the word hate on them right, because exactly. it's like you're allowed to have an opinion. You know, if you don't like them, you don't like them. It's not for you. But like I'm enjoying the ride. And as I said, like at the Rumble, like it's nice to have a horse in the race now. It's like it's nice to have somebody to cheer for rather than just watch and be like, oh, that was kind of a cool match, you know. We but I'm in, it. dude. Yeah, and like, you know, I mean, I get the Sammy thing. I do, but like, he's he had he even said it on that you know that podcast or whatever. Sammy Zayn said like, oh well, I can see myself becoming champion, but I'm not like the guy, bro. If you don't believe, no one else will. You know, some of the the biggest names in the history of pro wrestling, like. It's like any fucking sport, right? Like you have to have some kind of like drive or I hate to say ego, you know what I mean? But you have to want to be the best, man. Like, yeah. and he talked about his size. He mentioned his size. It's like you're a, you're an inch taller than Bret Hart. And all he is is one of the greatest to ever do it. So if you don't want to do it, step aside because Cody does want it. And he's going to take it at WrestleMania, like it or not. That was the interview with Ariel Hawani, and I saw it as well. Sami Zayn, he, he, like you said, if he's not going to believe it, or at least he's so humble, and it's it's a great quality. But at the same time, you have to believe it, and we will believe it. Perception is reality. Yeah, and, and like it's not like John Cena went around saying he was the best all the time. He wasn't like a prick. It's not like he was. He was definitely a politician, I'm sure. But you know, he was fairly humble too. He wasn't out there like you know claiming i'm the best ever you know what i mean like and yeah. he is now it's undeniable he's a 16 time world champion whether anybody likes it or not he will go down as one of the greatest of all time i'm not even a cena fan but mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying like he he was the dude he rose to the occasion he believed that he was and like if you don't believe no one else will man and well, i think Sam sammy's match with roman will be fine and it'll be fun and It'll it'll give me kind of like Eddie Guerrero vibes, like when he won the title, because he'll have that hometown, you know, it's in Montreal, et cetera. But like, I don't know, man. Yeah, I it's think undeniable. The, story, the story that they're going towards, or at least I thought so for a while, is the, you know, the fact that the Usos have this sort of, um, I guess, this built in thing with Sami Zayn and Jey Uso's now missing. Perhaps Jey Uso comes back at the chamber and it does lead to Sammy and KO versus the Usos. Maybe Jay turns out to be loyal to the to the bloodline after all. Mm -hmm. That's just a theory. Maybe that's the direction it goes. But the last thing on Cody I'll say is you brought it up about coming in at number 30 in the Rumble and not earning it. And everybody has a different spin on why this guy doesn't deserve it, whether <laughs> it's his father, like you said, the nepotism, the coming mm -hmm. in at 30. Oh, he abandoned a wrestling company that he started, AEW. You said going back and watching these old school rumbles to get hype. And like, I'll see Hogan come in at 27. I'll see oh, yeah. Brett come in at 25. Well, Hogan. remember for years, the most one number was 27. Was 27. Steve you Austin. Know? Yeah. The Rock came in, I want to say late in the game, 28 or 29. So try again. You know, you have all these excuses and all these reasons. Well, but... once again, if you don't like somebody, you're going to make as many excuses as you have to. You know, my excuse is I just don't like somebody, right? Like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you that Kevin Owens is untalented or whatever. Like, he's not for me, bro. Like, I don't think he's funny. Right. I think he's fucking cringy when he tries to make jokes. Like, he looks like a trash man. Like, he's not for me. If that's what's for you, that's cool. It's completely cool. 
Cody's for me. It's just my opinion. It doesn't mean, you know. Yeah. I mean, you... John John Patrick called us wrong, which is funny. What did he, he call said, us? You know, he said we were wrong. All right. Okay. Our <laughs> about, opinions are wrong. Yeah. Shout yeah. out to John. Happy anniversary to you and Annie. And um, real quick, uh, our boy Lorenzi was in the comments too. He just uh, spoke about um, I don't know if you remember, we couldn't remember the name of Paige's group. Yes, that was apparently like a porn thing. It was the submission sorority. Oh, okay. I never heard of that one, but that's, that's what it was. My yeah. boy Lorenzi, shout out. Shout out Lorenzi. Shout out to Patrick, who yeah, he's he's not loving this run for Cody, but no. he don't really watch WWE, so. He's but good. you're gonna get Sammy and uh, Roman at the Elimination Chamber, so yeah, strap in. It's the roads to WrestleMania. I'm going. I punched <laughs> my ticket. That's my that's my birthday present, and I'm gonna go. And you know what? I'm starting to think though. There's a really good chance that he actually doesn't win. Our Roadman Zern brought up this scenario, and I was thinking about oh, it more. God. And you know what? There, he might not do it this year. Like, mm. do you think it's a, a shoe in? I hope so, man. I would be, I'd be sad for Cody if it wasn't because I don't know, man. I hate to say a guy deserves it, but like, come on, like, doesn't he deserve it? Like all the shit that he's eaten and like, not if you ask some star- people. If you ask yeah, some people, I, again, he's a mid-carder for life, and he. Yeah, I mean, again, right? Like, you can make any excuse that you want and say this and that, but um. You know, he think loves the... it though, and that yeah, means exactly. a lot. Exactly. And, you know, well, does it? We're gonna see, right? We'll see at WrestleMania if it if it does mean. Think about name some like WWE champions, right? Like some of the worst, like the Great Kali, Big like, E. Yeah, Big E. Um, fucking Jinder Vince Mahal, McMahon. like Vince McMahon, like. And Cody's not going to get it. You know, like, this is a title that, like, Mr. Perfect never got. Razor Ramon got. Never got. But, like, these other dudes did. Ted because DiBiase, we're in the era. Yeah. yeah, Ted DiBiase. We did a whole episode on it. Look it up. Speaking um, of Ted DiBiase, really quick. Ted DiBiase yeah. Jr., when he was part of the legacy with Cody mm-hmm. and Randy, he could have been another one. My father never won the world title. That's yep. my legacy. That's my dad. That wasn't the, that wasn't the plan. That wasn't yeah. laid out like that. So... Yep. Just I wanted to say, because everybody's saying this is so unoriginal. He comes back and he just wants to win a title his father never did. And they clowned his father the whole time. That's the point. He's mm-hmm. going to right the wrongs for the family, yeah. if, if anything, right? Like, you know, we'll, we'll keep saying it over and over again. You can make any excuse, you know, like people are going to say whatever they're going to say because they don't want to say it. I don't, you know. Yeah, but watch the promo last night. I mean, I'm telling you, like our roadman Zern. He is not super invested in this story or doesn't believe this is the right time for Cody, mm-hmm. even though he's a huge Cody fan. And I and I said to watch that exchange last night. And, and like you said, in about 10, 15 minutes, the story was sold, laid out. There was emotion. I'm watching it with Sharon. She doesn't even love Cody. She doesn't really get my love for mm-hmm. Cody. But she's like, we have to go. Yeah. We have to go see this because yeah. that's sold. Like if I want to take my money and, and buy the ticket yeah. right then, and that's yep. what you... I can't believe uh, at this point in 2023, like I'm this invested in a wrestling story. Yeah, it's it's nice, you know, like it's nice to be invested in stuff. And that's, you know, especially WWE, right? Because lately yeah, we've Cody been... even talked about it. Um, 
he was on actually Logan Paul's podcast. I read a little excerpt and he said like people call him like old school and I'm I'm like, is it old school or is it just like great storytelling? You know, like because that's something that's missing a lot in wrestling now. You know, that's why I love Randy Orton because he tells stories like and you, it, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of wrestlers currently that tell stories. You can count them on one hand and Cody's one of them. And maybe that's my cup of tea. And that's why I'm into it. You know, maybe a lot of people aren't into, you know, storytelling in the ring, you know. So whatever it is, I'm sorry if you don't like Cody. But be happy for us because yeah, we're excited. It's yeah, it's nice to have a dog in the race. And also the WWE is in such a like, look, not the whole show, because I watched Raw last night. And other than that segment, you know, it's not the best. But yeah. him being on the show and like you said, oh, announcing he's going to be on the show. It really, really gets me um, back in line with my WWE love. And that's what was missing. So with the bloodline stuff that's going on, it's super compelling. Um, I tapped out and admitted I'm like loving the story now. Like we talked so about good, it man. in yeah. our Royal Rumble review. We, it's we, undeniable. It's a great story. So between the bloodline, the Cody thing, it's just really compelling. And hats off to all these people because they're being patient with the storytelling. And uh, we'll see how it unfolds. You know, we're we're definitely on the road to WrestleMania. And uh, when, when that's the roads, roads to WrestleMania. And when Frank rejoins us next week, we're going to have a super fun episode next <laughs> week. When uh, when Frank returns from assignment, we're going to be talking all about the macho man, Randy Savage. I can't wait for that. But uh, this week, we really didn't get to our topic. We went on a, a Cody rant, <laughs> but um, we're going to be talking about managers and some of the great all-time managers. And that's kind of just sort of was sparked by the unfortunate passing of one of my favorite managers slash wrestlers, Leaping Lanny Poffo, a.k.a. the genius, unfortunately passed away. Um, and it's just like we wanted to pay some kind of respect to him pay some tribute to him and his legacy and the, the mark he left on the business and his family in general. Uh, and then also watching the Paul Heyman, Cody Rhodes thing last night, these great, you know, Paul Heyman, a great mouthpiece, a great manager. We started talking about, you know what, let's talk about some managers. Let's talk about some of the great managers in history. And we'll be able to talk about the genius in there as well, as well as, uh, as Paul Heyman. But yeah, now we want to get into some of the greatest, wrestling managers maybe some of the unsung heroes um as managers valets something that's a dying breed duke you and i grew up for me late 80s early 90s was was my time you you were in right around then managers were um commonplace they were almost part of every match in one way or another on one side of the uh the 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 fight there was a heel usually accompanied by a manager mm -hmm. we'll get to some of the names but it's a dying breed now aew sort of has some lurking lingering managers that are um trying to keep the i guess the the role alive whether it is stokely hathaway or smart mark sterling even they have vicky guerrero occasionally still come out but managers, for the most part, have died off. Mm -hmm. And But let's talk about the golden years, the golden era where it was commonplace, where it was you the, the norm for a manager to appear. 
And I wanted to kick it off at least, you know, we're not going to go chronological here. I just kind of want to jump around. And when you have uh, a manager you'd like to talk about, jump in. But I do want to kick it off with Lanny Poffo. Because as we mentioned, he passed away. We just heard about it, unfortunately. It was just sudden hacksaw, Jim Duggan broke the news. Yeah, which is interesting in itself. Which is very interesting. And then um, I believe it was Dave Meltzer that confirmed that it was heart failure that was Mm -hmm. the cause of death for Lanny Poffo. He died on February 2nd, 2023. And we just actually talked about uh, the Royal Rumble 1990. We covered that show. And Frank and Duke both noted my love for Lanny Poffo and they even frank was like i just don't get it you know and it is i guess it's obscure it's strange all i can say is the resonation he resonated with me as far as just uh the originality the uniqueness of the character why don't you speak real quick on your experience watching leaping lanny poffo if you caught some of that earlier stuff which Mm -hmm. I, i would love to put over for a minute and then obviously talk about him as a manager yeah um yeah, I first saw Lanny like in the 80s. He was a blazing baby face. He would come out and he had frisbees and he had poems on the back of his frisbees and he would come in and recite a poem and then he would throw the frisbees out. But I think most people know about that. I think maybe what people don't know is he was super innovative and like really athletic back when a lot of people didn't do the kind of stuff that you saw him do. Like, I remember like him doing like moonsaults and like flips and all this like gymnastic type stuff. And in the eighties, that wasn't commonplace. You know, now if you put on a, a wrestling show, chances are you're going to see a moonsault, you know, it's almost as commonplace as like a super kick these days. But I mean, he was pretty innovative for his time. Um, And then of course he transitioned into the genius, you know, the manager, He actually holds a victory over Hulk Hogan, so that's a big deal. And, um, yeah, we just kind of wanted to talk about him because, like, he was, you know, he's a big deal. He's part of a a big wrestling family and, you know, in the history of pro wrestling. Um, And, uh, you know, even up until the end, like, he always spoke so fondly of Randy and, you know, really, I felt like, excuse me, tried to keep his memory alive. And always, you know, spoke very highly of him. And it's a shame because he seemed like a a really solid guy, a really, you know, genuine good human, which is, you know, hard to come by. So yeah. and once again, I will say, you know, a personal little moment when uh, John and I went to a wrestling convention, like he didn't buy a lot of tickets for people, but Lanny Poffa was one of them. So this love is real. Like he always did like him. It's not one of these things where a guy passes away and, you know, we start putting him over and stuff. So we just wanted to pay him a little tribute. And then John, I'll let you take it from there and you can tell us about your fandom for him. Yeah. Really quick. I'll go into the fact that when we met those guys at that convention, it was Lanny who was on my list, high on my list. I I know you guys were taken back, but it's just, um, the solidness you talk about the genuine it's almost like you could see the uh 
like the good aura around him. Like mm-hmm. he was such a genuinely nice human being. And I remember when we started this podcast that uh, we talked about trying to get some guests on and I had some exchanges with a few wrestlers and he was like the dream guy for me early on, because I just <laughs> thought he'd be so interesting to talk to. He's so eloquent. And you saying like how he kept Randy's uh, memory alive, I thought was just beautiful because he always was quick to just tell you about Randy, the human, like he'd play along with some of the wrestling stories, but he mm-hmm. was so like for forthcoming with about Randy's involvement with Special Olympics. Yep. And, always mentioned that. And I just thought that was it was just a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll quickly just talk about some of the stuff I've gone back and watched recently uh, a couple years ago. But I got back into watching like mid 80s stuff and him, him on the, the t- Tuesday Night Titans, like you're saying, <laughs> innovative moves. But on one episode, Vince McMahon had him do a gymnastics routine <laughs> and uh he had the shot the the armor mm-hmm. remember the um the knight in shining armor yeah. gear, which was so random he was finding his character he was such a like nice lovable guy as a baby mm-hmm. face but then when he became like the snide condescending ridiculous sort of clownish cap and mm-hmm. gown manager with mr perfect eventually the beverly brothers yeah it was uh wow he could play both sides And I wanted to mention um, one thing I read up about him that I never knew. And you're going to find this fascinating if you hadn't read this already. But he was under WCW contract from 1995 until 1999. And he signed the contract and has like one or two matches um, on a WCW Saturday night that I I think they might have even been dark. Hmm. But he didn't fight uh, on TV. And he explained that macho man when he was portraying the gimmick with the uh the slick back hair and the gorgeous george thing Mm -hmm. he wanted lanny to play gorgeous george and lanny had bleached his hair he was training again to look you know good and they uh decided to go with Macho's real life girlfriend at the time uh stephanie billers or bellers anyway lanny never got to get on tv but he was under contract for four years towards the uh end of wcw and we never got to see him it's and I bet, honestly, I bet that was Mach. I bet that was Mach getting his brother in, you know? So Which cool. is super, yeah, super cool. The and another thing, family. yeah, and another thing, yeah, man, fucking pretty relevant wrestling family, the Pafo family, Angelo Pafo. Um, another thing about Lanny, too, like, always in good shape, you know? Like, never, like, super cut, but always, like, just a natural, like, you know, he didn't look all jack, you know, roided up. He looked very natural and he looked like he kept himself in shape, you know, for most of his years once again. Yeah. And just really close it out on on Lanny and Genius. If you never watched any of his actual wrestling matches before he became a manager, it's not hard. Google Lanny Pafo, WWF 1985-86, whatever. Watch one of those matches if you have time. Watch five if you have time. But tell me that he wasn't an innovator tell mm-hmm. me he wasn't ahead of his time that gets thrown around a lot um please do yourself a service watch some old school lanny Pafo. and um yeah we wanted to at least acknowledge him and rest in peace lanny what a guy what a what a personality in wrestling and you know another one gone too soon he'll be yeah missed. man it's uh it's unfortunate i have a birthday coming up tomorrow and i'll tell you younger guys that you know, life is a gift. 
but as you get older, man, like it just more and more, you know, more of your guys are going to end. So like, enjoy it while you're here and enjoy them while they're here and be sure to, uh, you know, acknowledge like he was a good wrestler, man. Like he was in a, he was in a, a time where like, there were a lot of like the greatest of all time. And like, it was probably hard to shine, but he still left his shine and was very innovative. His name was the genius Lanny Poffo, the world's smartest man. Rest in peace, Lanny. Rest in peace, Lanny. And also, um, I have to throw this out. Sorry, but anyone who's a fan of Dalton Castle, you know, oh I'm, my God, I, I'm a new fan. And mm-hmm. please go watch early Lanny Poffo. Tell me there isn't some inspiration. Yep. Right. One, absolutely, 100%. And I love Dalton Castle. I, I've talked about him before. 100%, man. The cartwheels, like. Yep. The mannerisms. Sure. Mm-hmm. So that was Lanny. Um, talk about some managers here. I wanted to get into a fun one right off the bat because it's the he, he's responsible for getting over or helping get over two of the most well-known gimmicks of all time. We covered a gimmicks episode. I think it was way it was just you and I actually we covered the uh, gimmicks, but it was it was a while back. You and I did. We talked about gimmicks and the wrestlers who may have had the worst or best, but. The Undertaker and Kane were on that list, and Paul Bear has to be tied into mm. their to their stories for sure. And um, like I said, they're two of the most well known gimmicks in history, and mostly thanks to Paul Bear kind of being the link to bringing Kane back. And mm-hmm. without Paul Bear, we probably don't have Kane, and so on and so forth. But what I wanted to talk about Kurt, uh, Paul Bear, Percy Pringle for a minute mm-hmm. because, like I said, his his character. The voice, the like the urn, the power of the urn, it all added to Undertaker's mystique. And I don't know. The funeral director was actually scary to me at first when I was a kid. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, oh yeah. The pale face. Mm-hmm. It became cartoonish as I got older to see him. But mm-hmm. early Paul Bearer, especially hosting that funeral parlor. If you want to talk about early Paul Bearer, or if you have any Percy Pringle uh memories even yeah um so i didn't see percy pringle that was not before my time but it was um we didn't get world-class championship wrestling in philadelphia so my first exposure to him was as paul bearer and uh yeah man same thing like he he was kind of creepy you know like and, you know, as you got older, of course, it became hokey and stuff like that. But I mean, he was somehow became a good guy that blew my mind when The Undertaker turned babyface. I, I just didn't even I guess it makes sense because like as a kid, I was like into him. I was him for Halloween one year. So I guess it makes sense like that larger than life, you know, type person. But um to see him be able to do, you know, be a baby face and a heel, like that's a big deal. Like to be able to do both is a really big deal in my opinion. And I think that you can put guys that can do both into the greatest of all time category, you know, like if you can't do both things, like I don't think you can truly be put into that category. Like you got to be able to do everything at that, you know, the maximum 
You know what I'm saying? Like the maximum level, like and good right off or the bad. Bat, I think of off topic, but Hollywood Hogan, like one there of the greatest go. heels of all time, and yep. arguably the greatest baby face of all. I time. mean, we're not gonna get all into Hogan, but that's a great point. Like his career was done in WWF. Vince was done with him. He's like, all right, go to WCW, do the same old shit, and he did the same old shit for a couple years, and then who the hell would have thought, you know that that would happen? Um. And Paul Bearer somehow was able to do both. And he's one of the most iconic managers of all time. When you, you know, when you talk about him, like people are always going to say, oh, yes. You know, like our boy, Brian Marble, who listens to the show, like he I remember him doing that voice, you know, like it's pretty it's a pretty iconic thing. I always like asking people like outside of wrestling, oh, have you ever heard of this person? And like. I don't know that Paul Bear would be there, but I don't know. He's he was pretty popular back in the day with the take. Yeah, very iconic's a good word. And you mentioned how we didn't get world class uh, championship wrestling, but I had to at least mention the fact that they were trying to do a sort of Heenan family esque thing going on there. And I yeah. just want I wanted to mention some of the wrestlers that Percy Pringle managed just to blow everyone's mind. But early on, he he managed Rick Rude, stunning Steve Austin, Mark Calloway interesting right lex luger ultimate warrior all at one point rubbing elbows with the great percy pringle aka yeah, that's, paul barrow that's insane that's a that's a hit list right there sure is so from one paul paul bear i wanted to talk a little bit about another paul paul Heyman. we talked about him at the top of the show the cody rhodes interaction the great great part he's playing in that story and the bloodline story the, he's obviously been linked to Brock Lesnar for the last, I don't know how many years, technically like 20 years on and off. Crazy, right? Um, in the midst of that, there was a CM Punk connection. Paul, I'm a mm-hmm. Paul Heyman guy. But I wanted to talk a little bit about Paul Heyman, the manager. And I thought it was interesting because supposedly Paul Heyman decided he wanted to work in wrestling when he saw Vince McMahon interviewing superstar Billy Graham. Mm. And, then, and then he became a photographer, which is... He's not the only manager on this list to do this, but he was a photographer first, sort of started his own little newsletter, just fell in love with the business as a fan. Um, mm-hmm. Do you remember Paul Heyman, the pre-ECW? We know Paulie from ECW, obviously being here in Philly, but do you mm-hmm. remember Paulie as Paulie Dangerously? Oh, yeah, for sure. So my first exposure to Paul E. Dangerously at the time was with the they called them the original Midnight Express, Randy Rose and Dennis Condry. So he brought them in to feud with Cornette's Midnight Express, uh Beautiful Bobby and Sweet Stan. And the him new and Cornette Express. Yeah. And uh him and Jim Cornette had some like weird matches, probably like a tuxedo match or some, you know, weird shit that they did back in the day. And then <clears throat> the Midnight Express ended, and then he managed the Samoan SWAT team. What's cool is Paulie now, obviously, Paul Heyman manages uh, Roman Reigns. So there's this like connection with um, because the Samoan SWAT team, for those that don't know, were Samu and Fatu, and Fatu is Rikishi, who is the Usos' father. So it's cool how that kind of came full circle. And like, you know, Roman, yeah, Roman calls him, you know, the wise man. And it, I think that's super cool how that happened. And then 
you know, obviously Paulie had a tremendous career, even in WCW, the Dangerous Alliance. Again, like talk about a stable, Steve Austin, Rick Rude, Larry Zabisco, Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton. I mean, and Medusa and Medusa. I mean, six Hall of Famers, in my opinion. Hopefully uh, there's rumors that Midnight Express might go in this year. Um, super cool. Uh stable if you haven't checked them out um it was always interesting when rick flair wasn't in wcw and the horsemen weren't around because these like kind of mid-talent guys got to shine you know they got to get that like main event spot and as much as i love flair and the horsemen i always enjoyed those times to see those like weird interactions and stuff and paulie was a big part of that man yeah, I think the Dangerous Alliance, we talked about it before, um, that's stable, at least on paper. And especially if you watch some of their segments, they, I don't want to say underrated, but they should be on a list um, for anyone's list of top stables because of just that talent. Like if we yeah. have Rick Rude and Steve <clears throat> Austin and Arn Anderson and Larry Zbysko all in a ring and Bob Eaton, yeah. put them all in a ring together on, on the same side amazing amazing stuff and... i mean bobby eaton you know you name those guys and like bobby eaton is kind of the odd man out as far as like maybe people not knowing him you know but i mean as far as in-ring work i mean he can hang with any any of those guys in my opinion yeah and paulie being the mouthpiece was yep. always um it's interesting because a lot of those guys could talk you're talking about Arn anderson Rick Rude, mm-hmm. Steve Austin, three of the best promo men ever. Yep. And um, they're, they're with Paul Heyman, who's maybe just right up there with them, if not above them, as a talker in, in the history of wrestling. Paulie is for sure one of the greatest talkers. I mean, probably top five. I think I agree. Yeah, I think like, I agree. He's unbelievable. When we talk about getting a, a story <clears throat> or an angle over or <clears throat> selling <throat> a show as a promoter, you name yep. it, uh, he will talk you into the seats, talk you into he the had room. He had the ECW locker room ready to run through a fucking wall for him, dude. You know, mm-hmm. paying them nothing. Yeah, and we do, you know, we're talking about his managerial stuff. Obviously, he, he founded and, you know, started ECW and whatnot. But as a manager, the fact that he was linked to Brock Lesnar, the next big thing at the time, I remember watching the Raw Live. When Brock came in and destroyed, you know, those guys, I think it was Spike Dudley, Al Snow, whoever it was. Mm-hmm. And Paul Heyman was on the ringside cheering him. And right off the bat, I didn't like it because I thought, why is Paul Heyman, who I view up here, you know, this guy mm-hmm. who's now in WWF, like from ECW, why is he, you know, hanging with this young, you know, nobody? Turns out 20 years later, he's managed Brock to having one of the greatest careers ever. He's been a voice. His his introduction of Brock Lesnar is actually over with the crowd that they sing along with. Just yep, the introduction yep. of Brock Lesnar. Even when he says, my name is Paul Heyman, the crowd is mm-hmm. chanting along with my name is yep. Paul Heyman. Um, I wanted to mention him because he has worn so many hats in wrestling, like a lot of these managers have. Um, Paul was never a wrestler, but you had him as a color commentator, which was excellent. You had him as a booker, a promoter, and obviously as a manager. And He's got to be uh, on any conversation. With yeah, him. and real real quick about, you know, him and Brock, like, no way does Brock have the career he does without Paul Heyman. Not a chance. I would agree. I would agree, especially this comeback, you know, the second yep. run after the yep. UFC. Because mm-hmm. I remember they tried to go Brock 
sans Paul Heyman, minus yep. Paul Heyman yep. when he first came back. And they just mm-hmm. did a quick audible and like, Paul, get back out there. Yep. And it was magic once again. So I think, uh, you know, you know, finally Brock, like doing this cowboy shit, he finally like is able to at least be entertaining enough to not need him. But yeah, man, for sure. Like Paulie without him, like Brock is not, he doesn't have a career. He has. Yeah. You mentioned um, Jim Cornette and the fact that they had some little, you know, tassels in their ring, their little uh, tuxedo matches or whatever. They mixed it up, but I do want to talk about Jim Cornette because he's another one who's done it all in wrestling. Other than maybe actually being a legit wrestler, but manager, yeah. color commentator, yeah. booking team, promoter with Smoky Mountain. Um, let's talk about Jim Cornette for a minute. Now he's, you know, author, podcaster, pretty polarizing figure, especially with modern fans. Um, a lot of his shock job shit with him now, maybe. I I completely agree with that. Okay, but before all that, in 1982, Jerry Jarrett made 21-year-old Jim Cornette the manager of one Sherry Martell, who we will talk about eventually. But they uh, Jarrett gave Cornette the gimmick of like a rich kid turned inept manager. Apparently, the clients kept firing him after one match. This was <laughs> early on in his career. But eventually, he went on to manage the Midnight Express. You talked about that. Are those your memories of Jim Cornette early? Oh, memories? yeah. Yeah, like early... Geez, I don't know. Probably mid to late 80s is when I started getting into it. And uh, yeah, Jim Cornette had the Midnight Express. That's all he had. It was the Midnight Express. And then he brought in his bodyguard, Big Bubba, who mm. would go on to become, of course, the big boss man. But um, Jim Cornette, like you mentioned, the the rich kid, the, like the spoiled kid, he would always say like his mama like his mama would bring him you know send him money and his his mama's lawyers were gonna sue people if they touched him and blah 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 he was really entertaining to me like you hated him like you couldn't wait to see him get his ass kicked and um you know after that he went on to the wwf he ended up you know managing yokozuna of course he somehow like weaseled his way into that as the american spokesperson i was never big on that were you into that cornet as his manager no and i was very confused by it yeah i had... like fuji was his manager you know but he had two managers technically yeah remember, it was the american spokesperson the spokesperson yeah that stuff never works for me um as far as like even when you remember when like davari managed kurt angle very yep. oh but, god dude that's you know so weird yeah that was so weird Terrible. So I didn't I didn't like that with with Cornette there, but I was blown away when he started. This is a little later on and not, you know, as memorable or looked back fondly. But like when he started to bring in the heavenly bodies and do mm-hmm. the sort of the uh, I guess it was a Smoky Mountain infusion. Yep. Yeah. And um, I just was very like confused by the role Jim Cornette had in the WWF in general at the time, because mm-hmm. He was on one hand, yeah, part of the main events with Owen, and uh, I think it was like the whole stable, Camp Cornette. It was uh, yep. Owen, Bulldog, Yoko. Yeah. Sort of, that's a very big talent, but um, I don't know. That never translated with me. I know the tennis No, racket. me neither. I completely agree. Like, that, they just, he didn't fit with those guys for whatever reason. I don't know if it was, maybe he didn't fit in WWF. 
you know that's what i wanted to say because yeah. a lot of people accuse him of sort of talking out of both sides of his mouth or whatever but he went on a rant recently about bray wyatt and he mm. said that what he's doing as a wrestler is not wrestling at all if you want to be an actor or make shitty d-rated or you know d-list horror films go chase that dream but mm. what you're doing in wrestling is not pro wrestling you're taking away from the sport the art of the sport and all this stuff and then um i got to thinking like you know on one hand he says that and on the other hand he's like touted the undertaker as one of the goats and the mysticism behind the undertaker character mm-hmm. and and then i started to think like even him being as sort of carny as he was with like the the tennis racket the loaded tennis racket and like the antics the over-the-top antics I just we talked about the shock jock stuff, but I just wonder because um, I know he had ties with TNA and Ring of Honor as a backstage. Does yeah. he? Do you think it's a work with him shitting on all the current day stuff? No, I think that I think that somewhere in there, I think that Cornette, you know, I think he could be valuable to a wrestling company, but I think his way of thinking it's just so antiquated, where, you know. I've said this before, like, I think pro wrestling can be a lot of different things, you know, because like I can enjoy a high flying match, you know, but like what I prefer is like good storytelling, kind of a slower pace, like FTR. Like I'm a big fan of those guys because they're kind of like more old school, but um, I can appreciate a lot of different things in wrestling with Cornette. I think it's just it's his way or the highway. So I do think that he could probably lend something. He's for sure. You can't tell me he's not knowledgeable about pro wrestling. He's been I mean, in the business yeah. as long as, you know, we've been alive, you know. He's done it all, even with the yeah. Ohio Valley But I, stuff I, I and... don't think it's a work. I do think he probably, people probably didn't like him, you know, when he worked, especially like Ring of Honor, like with those like, you know, younger guys, they're doing sort of like, um, you know, more athletic moves and not so much based on, you know, storytelling and a slower pace. So I'm sure, you know, that's why, probably why it didn't last too long, too. I see him on the dark side of the rings and he's so knowledgeable. He's such a super duper fan, oh, yeah. fan, yeah, uber fan sure. of the business yep. still is. And I think every so often he makes these great points. And I'm like, man, like these guys need to listen to Cornette. Like he's giving you free advice, but then yeah, it goes think, and ruins it. Like you said, I think the polarizing thing, I think at this point is um, it's kind of his shtick. Because he knows that when he shits on stuff, people are going to tune in, you know? I think yeah. that's just become, like, his thing. Um, you know, he said controversial shit in the past. We won't get all into that because we're just talking about his managerial days. But, yeah, man, for sure, him with the Midnight Express, if you haven't seen that, you know, we always can we always compel people to go back and watch some of this older stuff, like, wrestling existed before the year 2000 you know like there's so much good stuff and you'll it's like discovering like an a season of a new show you know because like you can go back and watch old wrestling from you know now geez we have all this stuff at our disposal like you can watch seasons of like all these old territories and you can watch and like it's all new to you you know like 
So like, give it a shot, go back and watch some old, like world championship wrestling. You can see, you know, Ric Flair is a young man, like the four horsemen, you can see dusty roads. You can see the midnight express and Jim Cornette. Like there's a lot of cool stuff to like go back and watch. And you'll, you might end up liking some of this stuff and be like, damn, man, he is like, I get it now, you know, because you can- John, you and I back in the day, we didn't watch like 70s wrestling, you know, like we've gone back and watched that in hindsight and like, look at the love we discovered for some of these guys, you know? Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of that, like you go back and you watch a guy, if you could, you know, and it's on the Peacock and you can even search yourself. But if you learn about guys like even Arnold Scotland, who was a lifer in the WWF, from the sixties till the nineties in mm-hmm. some way, shape or form, he was yep. connected as a wrestler. And then as a manager, he was literally managing Bruno Sammartino, Bob Backlund, two of the most important champions the WWF yep. has ever had. And you just can gloss over that when you're sort of young and like, just, Oh, I want to watch action. I want to watch action. But when you really study the the sport, pro wrestling, sports entertainment, whatever you want to call it, when you start to dig in, it's like, you learn about these things for the first time. It's new information for us. You know, a guy mm-hmm. that's 80 years old, he lived through it. And it's just, you know, but for us discovering it now, what we have access to, I encourage you to go back, look at a guy like Arnold Scotland, look at a guy like the grand wizard who was before our time, but he was another one, a, a thorn in the side of Bob Backlund. I think, mm-hmm. you know, for, for a long time, he was uh, all over the WWF in the 70s with his, his outfits, outlandish outfits and stuff like that. But he's a Hall of Famer for a reason. He's got wrestling existed before, you know, the year 2000 or whenever the Attitude Era was. Yeah, whatever it was. Right. The 90s, you know, like and it's not me being like a condescending prick either. Just to put that out there. It's just like if you love pro wrestling, like go back and check out some of this old stuff, you know, like for me, like when I get into something, I like to really go back and like, look at the history of stuff, you know, like I'm a big comic book fan. And when I first got into green lantern, like I wanted to know all about them. And I went back and bought, you know, um, collected editions of like, you know, the shit from way back in the day. And it's, it wasn't, really great but like it's it's nice to know stuff and like educate yourself i guess especially like some of these legends that we're talking about you know like the grand wizard and arnold scound who you can see in the 90s as like an agent you know running around in the ring or whatever you know yeah and it's just um like i said you you'll discover new stuff and new to you and you might end up liking it exactly yeah and I think it's, you know, you said before on one of the shows that you'd usually defend your generation. Like Jordan was your guy. You'll defend Mm -hmm. him. LeBron is the younger guy's guy. They're going to defend him. And I fall somewhere in the midst, in the middle of that, because I feel like, yeah, I grew up with Jordan, but I grew to love a guy like Kevin Durant. I can make arguments that he's this or that. But I think it's important if you really love, if you have passion for it, to go back and learn about some of these other guys, because when I go back and watch a guy like Ernie Ladd, like I'm, I'm blown away how mm-hmm. I could see why people would say he's one of the greats, this or that, or greatest athlete, tra- you know, to translate from football to, yeah. I never understood why, but when I watch him, 
I never understood why he was held in such high regard by a guy like Jim Ross. I would always hear talk, talking about him. And then when you go back and watch a guy like Ernie Ladd, you see, oh, this is why, because he's way ahead of his time. And that's the same with a mm-hmm. guy like the, the Grand Wizard who, you know, I know that that style's not really, it's not the same anymore. You can't have a manager wearing, you know, these glasses and the jacket and the hat and come out. Prince Nana, I think, is a, he's a Ring of Honor manager. Yeah. Mm-hmm smaller version of, of that like uh over the top character but yeah grand mm-hmm. wizard managing billy graham slaughter there was you know a whole slew of managers before the 80s and i wanted to at least mention those two really quick but i want to bring it back to the 80s and not golden era wwf but wcw and this manager has one claim to fame as far as i know mm-hmm. at least what he's remembered for and it's one james j dillon mm famous for guiding his wrestlers to championship gold, most notably the horseman. Another one who could, he was among great talkers, but he was still a great talker. It's its bizarre that he could hold his own next to Arn and Flair, right? Yeah. And Tully, excuse me, and Tully. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I always say about Tully too, like the only thing that, the only problem with Tully Blanchard is that he was standing next to Ric Flair. You know, because Telly was a hell of a talent in his own right, you know, but to talk about JJ, JJ did something that I always thought was cool because um, the four horsemen were the first bad guys I ever like thought were cool. I'm like, damn, man, look at these guys like coming out in suits and like they had all the money and all the girls and like what JJ would do is he would he was very intelligent and he would come out and he would make it. So he would explain it. So like the bad guys were right, you know, like he would be like, well, you know, actually dusty Rhodes is the one that jumped us from behind and blah, blah, blah. And like, he was a very um, charming and uh, like kind of like slick dude, you know, like he would, I always thought that was cool about him. He would always because like for a villain, I think it's it's cool to see like their point of view in things where like they're doing this because, you know, of this. And like J.J. had the ability to do that. Yeah, I feel like he gave them credibility too, even though they didn't need it. It was mm-hmm. like sort of like, a I don't know, a mob movie or something like you got this group of guys who are so cool, but that one extra guy that might be the loud mouth that might look like a boss or whatever, like he's just adding one more ounce of credibility. And JJ always, I thought gave the horse me even that much more um, like sort of credibility and him holding his own next to guys like Arn Anderson, Tully and Flair. It was uh it's a testament to him because it translated into head to having like remember when he was wcw's commissioner Mm -hmm. and he like ran the show you know he was essentially the the voice of the show and and he ended up working for the wwf too yeah briefly worked for the wwf um yeah i wanted to mention jj and you know even though i i believe you know the horsemen are on good terms right as far as you know because i know they. yeah um i mean i see you know pictures of them at conventions and stuff unfortunately uh you know, he's a newer horseman, but Mongo's not doing great. And like right. I saw, like Ric Flair was by his side, which is nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I see them posing for pictures and stuff at conventions and stuff. So as far as I know, I mean, 
you don't see Oli at the conventions, but right, right. Uh, Arn and Barry Windham and Telly, you know, Telly was on AW what probably a year ago, right? Yeah, like, not even six yeah, months so, ago. So, um, but yeah, yeah, JJ for sure, like probably underrated actually when you talk about wrestling managers, and he he did manage other guys like before the Horsemen. Um, I know he had Buddy Landell at one point. Yeah, he I I want to say Black Bart. Uh, uh, Black Bart or Ron Bass, one of those cowboy guys, I want to say. He had Abdullah at one point, believe it or not. Okay. He had uh, Butch Reed briefly, apparently. Okay. But uh, also Ox Baker. So you're going way back with that. Um, I mean, JJ's been another one, a lifer in the business. So you might be right. Uh, Brute Bernard. I want to say that was in like Mid-Atlantic or something where he managed... um... Black, Black Bart? Bart, yeah, one of those. We'll Either Black Bart or um, Moon Dog Maine. There was another guy that he had and he yeah, the Starcade um that we covered. He managed Buddy Landell, didn't he? Exactly. Yeah, that's why yeah. I was brought up Buddy Landell. But yeah, um, iconic his role with the Horseman, uh, JJ Dillon. I want to talk about another iconic. I guess you you know the fact that this one device became iconic with this character and it was a megaphone <laughs> sticking to the eighties, the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart instrumental in the rise of our guys, the Hart foundation. So mm-hmm. early on, you know, I guess they tried to paint it like they weren't able to talk, even though I would say otherwise um, maybe Brett, but Anvil was always a good talker. Um, regardless, they put Jimmy Hart with Jim, the Anvil Nightheart and Bret Hart and before you knew it, that team took off. Uh, before that, I got to learn that Jimmy Hart was brought into wrestling by Jerry the King Lawler, who I guess apparently they knew each other. But Lawler actually hired Jimmy Hart to be his manager. And before you knew it, in Memphis, Jimmy Hart was doing another thing like the Heenan family, the first family of wrestling there was all kinds of guys that Jimmy Hart has managed over the years, but who's the first guy you think of or first team or first person you think of when you think of Jimmy mouth of the South? For me, when I think of Jimmy Hart, I think of the Hart foundation as my first one, even though I don't know that that was the first person I saw him manage. It might've been um, the dream team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's um, me. That would be yeah. right. It it was probably that. But when I think of Jimmy Hart, it's funny. I think of Jimmy Hart with the Hart Foundation and the Mountie. That's really funny. Yeah. I think How of the Hart, Fo- the Hart Foundation and Hulk Hogan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just because they're side by side all the time mm-hmm. now, you know. Um, that was weird when he became Hogan's manager. You mean in WCW, the babyface? No, in, in WWF initially. Like when it first happened, it was a very cool story. I don't know if you remember, they were going to, uh, money Inc was going to bash. Yeah. Beefcake's face. And he saved him. With, it was a, it was a cool little story, but I was like, Jimmy Hart's with Hulk Hogan. Like I was like, I always thought that was super weird. That's one of the earliest raw memories. I can actually remember watching. It was, you know, obviously the first raw I was tuning in, but, um, like early like 1993 raw memories that's one that stands out to me it's funny you mentioned mm. that because they were going to rearrange beefcake's face yeah. irs and uh yeah man beefcake always getting threatened yeah between man. sid and he had a rough go 
But Jimmy Hart and uh, I believe, yeah, he kind of shielded Beefcake from the because yep. he was with Money Inc. and yep. he ended up turning with the Mega. What, what, what were they? The Mega Maniacs? They were, yeah, right. Mega Maniacs. I want to say something like that, but yeah, it's a good call with the <clears throat> Dream Team because that's who I think of as far as my early memories of Jimmy Hart managing Beefcake and Valentine. But he went on. He had King Kong Bundy. Oh um, man. I mean, you can go down a list of the guys he's managed, but um, it's funny because the megaphone's like symbolic of the fact that he actually was like he was a loudmouth and arrogant, but like he could actually sing. Like this dude sang Hulk Hogan's theme song. Like that is his voice for "I Am a Real American." Do you know that? No, I didn't know that. You didn't know that's Jimmy Hart saying. I didn't know that's Jimmy Hart. No. Wow. Yeah. Holy today, shit! Today wow. you learned. So Jim, so you know, he had a whole career as a as an artist, as a musical artist before um WWF and before Memphis and all that stuff. I have to talk about Jimmy Hart because I I always think back to is when Mach first it debuted in the WWF and they were doing the I guess like the uh competition or vying for his managerial services. And young yeah. Jimmy young Jimmy <laughs> Hart was among those young uh, those managers, and he was standing by next to greats like Freddie Blassie and um he was just a young man like when i watch it yeah. now he was like younger than me now and um yeah. ageless wonder by the way like still looks great yep still holds the gimmick together got all his hair he's always done up always done up always living the gimmick seems like such a nice guy or at least he's been able to stay around the business <laughs> that's a guy that when i was a kid i could not stand man me neither because he he managed like the Hart Foundation were cool, but like he managed the Rujos and the Mountie and like um Earthquake. Yeah, Earthquake and, is what I remember. Um, yeah, Dino Bravo. Yeah, Dino Bravo, uh the nasty boys, like mm -hmm. very heelish. He was with you know, Rude at one point too, I believe, right? Was he with Rick Rude? He was in he was with Rude in Damn. Was that no, not in the WWF? Right? I don't think that no, was because Heenan had Rude in WWF. Yeah, yeah. but I he did manage Rude like, at one point. That might have been in Memphis or something. Okay. Him and Rude. Um, yeah, that he makes did. sense. He managed Macho Man at one point. Yeah, it's incredible. In Adrian Adonis, you can go down the list. Um, mm -hmm. mm. There's another good one. Yeah, that's another good one. But I mean, dude, he was masterful at getting heel heat. We were 100. We That's, reviewed a I mean, Rumble, uh, no, or maybe it's a Survivor Series, Survivor Series 1987 recently, and there was a female match going on between the Jumping Bomb Angels and a lot of the other girls. And the loudest, most uh, interacted part of the match was when Jimmy Hart got on the apron. <laughs> and, you know, I think it was the, the Bomb Angels drop kicked him off, but he got yep. such a reaction, played it yep. off so well. Such a ham, you know. I've heard um, Eric Bischoff talk about Jimmy Hart as a guy who's just relentless in his desire to um, be front and center in an angle. Mm. Like he doesn't mm -hmm. know when to lay out. And that was always a problem. Like that people would have <laughs> with Jimmy Hart is like, bro, tone it down nine steps. Like we got another guy to get over in this segment, you know? Um, but he's awesome. I mean, I'm with you. I hated him as a kid. Mm -hmm. Get older. You respect the hell out of him. Oh yeah. yeah. Jimmy Hart. And then, sure. yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about him going on to manage Hogan and Beefcake. And then, uh, like we said, he goes to WCW. Hogan goes to WCW and, you know, he follows him there. And then, you know, the infamous turn of 
beefcake on Hogan and that opened the whole Dungeon of Doom thing. So like right. longevity too, man. Like he had a long career and he was relevant for most of it. Yeah, for pretty much all of it. Um, I want to switch gears really quick because I have three on my list that I want to wind down with three that I think are arguably the three greatest of all time. You might agree. But I wanted to switch over really quick to some valets. We could call them managers because they were great managers. But I at least want to show love to um, four or five women who I think were excellent at this job. And the first one goes without saying, first and foremost, top of that list, Miss Elizabeth. The beautiful Miss Elizabeth. The first lady of wrestling. The first lady of wrestling. We talked about that manage that that vying for Mach's managerial services, the Macho Man Randy Savage upon his debut. If you don't know about it, go back and watch when he came into the WWF. He had a bunch of people auditioned to represent him, be his manager. All the greats lined up from Heenan to Blassie. We mentioned Jimmy Hart. There were some other ones in there. He chose to go with an unknown Miss Elizabeth, who was his real life girlfriend. Their relationship was interesting because we were watching certain angles play out when they were already divorced or already married. Mm -hmm. And it would always get confusing, but I'd love to talk about her as a manager. My first memory that pops into my mind of Miss <laughs> Elizabeth was when she got up on the apron during SummerSlam. I believe it was 88. It was during the million dollar man. Uh, it was a tag match. It was yeah, Macho Man and Hulk Hogan them. took off her skirt. And <laughs> yeah. uh, I think Jesse Ventura was a referee and he was like frozen solid, you know, frozen in time. <laughs> but that to me, when I was a kid, like seeing that happen and I'm just like, you know, re rewinding, replaying, rewinding. And I was like <laughs> in love with Miss Elizabeth. But um, yeah. as far as like a manager, she was quiet. She was a timid. She wasn't the one doing the talking like a Paul Heyman. But the memories that they left us with the macho man, Miss Elizabeth connection, talk about, you know, the match made in heaven or what you think of when you think about yeah. Liz. So I think of a few things. I think of, uh, you know, the WrestleMania three match, um, George animal steel had a crush on Elizabeth and, you know, that whole thing with steamboat. And, um, after that, uh, Obviously, Hulk Hogan lusting after Elizabeth, that whole thing, like um, Macho Man and Savage and, you know, the beginning and the end of the the mega powers like um, Hogan or I'm sorry, Macho Man getting laid out in the ring and Liz runs to the back to get Macho Man to help him. And I'm sorry, opposite. Macho's getting beat up. She gets Hogan to come in. And um, yeah, man, super like always seems so like sweet and so like, the mega timid. powers don't explode without Liz. No, we won't absolutely have the not. one of the greatest stories of all time without no, miss elizabeth absolutely not nope isn't that incredible Be yeah i mean you know like first off hulk hogan's a bad friend because every guy he was ever a partner with it always end up exploding orndorf Mach, warrior you know it goes on on beefcake mm -hmm. um tugboat but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but Elizabeth was so um, it was weird. It was weird to see her with Mach because like she was so 
timid and he was so the opposite and so extra and like you know remember him being like you know you don't talk unless i tell you to talk and like all that stuff but then from there you know you get the wrestlemania 7 thing with his retirement match you know well it was a retirement match unfortunately was on yeah macho man was on the wrong end of it and when we did our uh, all-time favorite matches episode, that's actually my favorite match of all time for that week. So if you haven't seen that, check it out. If you want to see storytelling in pro wrestling, I mean, forget about it. That's as good as it gets. You know, her and Macho Man, like you said, ups and downs, and there's so many awesome moments with Elizabeth. Like, but it's without the her, it's yeah, the package man, of uh, without her, her, like, you know, think of like his feuds with hogan with with flair. steamboat with flair with it doesn't uh, work without her with jake you with know jake. like when wow. he gets bit and like she comes in and she's screaming you know like yeah man like one of, one for, of my favorite feuds for sure we right always there. talk about like um trailblazers and revolutionaries um and the wwe and the wwf at that time that wasn't a thing like female managers managing guys like that you know and she, that was macho man rose to the top man and like liz definitely had something to do with that it's interesting that she was just a um sort of a visual sort of part of the package because she didn't do a lot of talking but without mm -hmm. her i guess she spoke volumes just with her appearance because the whole package worked it was just um it was hard not to think of Mach without Liz for so long, you know, and even unfortunately when Mach passed, I know Liz had passed before him and everybody was like, you know, hopefully the match made in heaven and, you know, everybody um, want, was pulling for them, you know, to be together. And you mentioned WrestleMania seven, how she sort of came out of the crowd to get Macho Man's back because after the match, one sensational Sherry, Queen Sherry, <laughs> just kind of like lost her shit on Mach because he had come out on the short end of the stick and that was her meal ticket. And she, <laughs> it's he, funny. You say meal ticket, <laughs> you know, and that's because that's, that's what, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and funny. Liz, Liz came out to defend her, her former man. And we got, you know, the reunited Macho man and Miss Elizabeth, which would lead to the match made in heaven. Um, love Liz. Love, love, love Liz. I do want to talk about sensational Sherry though. Queen Real Sherry. quick, before we move on from Liz, um, I just want to mention like her run in WCW too, because she did something that she didn't do in WWF when she actually turned on Macho Man and went with Ric Flair. Mm. And that was a cool different side that we got to see of Elizabeth. And then, you know, she had a little run with the NWO and all that, but that, uh, because Flair and Mach had such great chemistry and it was like, yeah, but we've seen this before, but we didn't because they did something different. And when Liz turned on him, it was like, oh, shit, she went with Flair, you know, like, so I just want to mention that before we went on. And no, if you, again, if you don't know Liz, show her some love, go find some stuff on Miss Elizabeth. That'll be worth it. Yeah absolutely vital part of macho man's fuse who we agree has the greatest feuds 100%. in the history of wrestling yeah and she's front and center in a lot of those feuds once so, again like i love Mach, number two on my all-time favorites but he's probably not what he is without elizabeth well he did have the run as king 
Macho King, Randy Savage, and mm-hmm. he had Queen Sherry with him, Queen Sherry Martell. Sherry Martell, really another one who sort of has like the whole spectrum covered as far as uh, a personality wrestling, because she was a great wrestler, great female wrestler, great pro wrestler, and then became a great manager. And whether you're talking about the Macho Man or the Macho King or Ted DiBiase or even young Shawn Michaels, mm-hmm. like her presence was undeniable. Her voice, her character, the makeup. Yep. I have so much love for her as a wrestling personality. And even when we watch stuff, you know, it's like, I think we covered Royal Rumble 1990 and the segment's just dog shit with, with Sapphire and, and brother love, but Sherry dominated the segment because she's mm-hmm. so good and so convincing as a, as a villain. Yeah. And um, what do you think about when you think about Sherry? It's funny. The first, I mean, lots of stuff, right? Like the Macho King, um, you know, Million Dollar Man. Um, and then, you know, goes on the WCW, ends up managing like Harlem Heat and stuff. But I think the number one thing that comes to mind, and I don't know why this is, is when uh, she begs the Ultimate Warrior for a title match. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I had to sneeze. Sorry, God bless. So she begs the ultimate warrior for a title match. She comes out, you know, she's, she doesn't have all the crazy makeup on. Like she's in a white dress, you know, trying to be like super nice. And, you know, she begs the warrior and he says no. And that's actually what leads to, you know, the macho man warrior explosion at WrestleMania seven. But that's like my biggest memory of Sherry. Interesting. So many. And it's you mentioned like how you thought Liz was hot, like when you were a kid. I didn't. I thought Elizabeth was like pretty. Mm -hmm. Sherry was the first woman in wrestling that I was like, oh, shit. Like, what what are these feelings? You know, as like a kid, like and then um, her as Sean or her with Sean. Like I was like, okay, okay, Sherry. Like, I see you now. Like, I was like you know a kid and i'm like oh shit like what are these feelings well you know you're eight so i'm eight years old 1991 ish right Mm -hmm. and she's with um dibiase i believe at this time and i'm watching and i'm eight years old and she looks like an older woman you know what i mean so i'm like Mm -hmm. she she was a more um i guess you could say like provocative and all that but i remember when she was with sean and I remember when she got knocked out during the was it Tatanka match or the Tio Santana match, one of the matches that opened um one of the WrestleManias or SummerSlams. Mm-hmm. I get those confused. But anyway, like they pick her up, she's got a skirt on, and you can just see everything. And yep. I'm just like, what is happening here as a kid? Yeah. I'm like, yep. holy moly, this girl yeah. is you know, so that was almost yeah, like my she introduction was the first to... one that they did that kind of stuff with, you know. Remember her, like, you know climbing cages and like lingerie and stuff and i was like what the hell is going on here you know right. like no censoring going on with her outfits or any of but that. i mean sherry was the shit man like another one that like you look back on and she was just so good and so tough like she probably could kick half the dude's asses on that roster you know like 
believable you know like she was probably so cool to like hang out with i'm sure they treated her as like one of the boys you know it's funny though that she was you know such a great wrestler and became such a great manager too like it's hard to do both you said before like being a face oh, and a yeah. heel but she managed to do uh you know hall of fame careers in both categories wrestler and yeah. manager i th i think at least oh yeah for sure i mean especially like for her time like mm -hmm. Who at that time was better than Sherry? As far as a, a, a wrestler? A, a wrestler, yeah. Oh, yeah, forget it. I mean, you're talking about a time when there was Lelaney Kai and, exactly. and we mentioned like, Judy Martin, girls yeah. like that. But Like Mola was, you know, kind of at the end. You exactly. Know? Like Wendy Richter, all due respect, like she's not competing with Sherry, you know? Yeah, Sherry was amazing. And eventually there would be another female valet that would emerge sunny same name same letter there s starting with the f yeah i'm here let's talk about sunny because we're talking about managers valets and as an eight-year-old i was like whoa what's going on with sherry but <laughs> now you're talking about 11 year old me 12 12 year old me seeing sunny and all kinds of thoughts going through my head <laughs> this was and i'll still say it i think the most beautiful wrestling female personality. Oh my god! I'll put her up against anyone in wrestling history in her day. Sunny. I I don't. Would you say? Because like I think there's different levels of attractiveness. I think there's like cute. I think there's pretty. I think there's beautiful. Sexy. I think Sunny was the hottest. Yeah, hottest. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, you know yeah, how yeah. there's like different categories. Like because Elizabeth was beautiful. Right. Delicate. You know, but like, geez, man, Sonny, like Sonny checked all those boxes, beautiful, hot, cute, all of those things, because um, America Online was a thing. I remember <laughs> if kids don't remember, go back, check yeah. it out. You used to have to download an image, yeah. wait about <laughs> six minutes for one picture to appear. And you just it's loading, you know, um, pixel by pixel. And eventually it appears itself to be a completely downloaded image. And when I had, you know, the ability to download sunny pictures, I was definitely staring <laughs> at those pictures. But she became the most downloaded personality in the world. I remember hearing that. Like, they would say that. Remember? Like, yeah. remember they would say that on their program? And I'd be like, what the hell does that mean? Because, like, <laughs> you know, it was like the beginning of, like, the Internet, you know? Exactly. It was the beginning of the Internet. But she was dominating everyone's computers, whether you're a wrestling fan or not, because they would be whispered down the lane. Oh, there's this cute wrestling lady. I have to look at her. And before you knew it, she became pop culture and a huge name. And people could say what they want about her now. Tammy Sitch. We didn't really talk about her wrestle, her actual wrestling manager stuff here. Obviously, part of the with the Bonnie Donis, Chris Candido. That's her most, you know, I guess we have to say that's her most famous managing role. Uh, eventually, LOD 2000, which was a a fail but what do you think of as far as wrestling like with with sunny do you think of her as an announcer as a because she did some commentary a manager yeah i mean well what happened was you know she was a manager you know they got her from smoky mountain she became the manager of skip they were the body donnas and what happened was she fucking transcended being a manager remember they would they wanted her on TV because people were like, who is this babe? Mm -hmm. So like she would come out, she would do commentary. Remember her um, announcing? Yeah. 
she would just march out in like some skimpy little outfit and like you know she would get the crowd involved the crowd was always happy to see sunny of course so yeah man i mean i don't even know what you would what her legacy is but um i think her legacy has to be um a groundbreaker yeah uh, like a, a trendsetter a um I think she was like the first sex symbol right. in wrestling. Exactly. You know what I mean? And like good or bad, you know, not to sound misogynistic or anything like, but it was a thing like guys would tune in for Sonny and like impressionable teenagers like myself were like, holy shit. Like I'm going to watch this because this girl is out here. You can't not like, look at her. Yeah. Like she's stunning it's and stunning. real quick. Just, yeah. I'm going to share a personal story and you were there with me, John boy. So I'm, I'm, I'm an, I think I'm an extroverted introvert. I'm not a big guy that likes to go out and meet new people, but I can blend in. And I, when I meet new people, <clears throat> I never have a problem, you know, like speaking to anyone. So John and I went to this convention and Sonny was there and we went up to meet her. I don't know if you met her. I definitely did. I did not. But I, did I not. went up and I had like a a t-shirt on that I bought at a thrift store or something. It was like a like Paris's subway or something. And she I went up and she's like, Oh hi, how are you? And I'm like, hi. <laughs> And she's like, oh, is that the Paris subway? I was actually just there. Like, she's like engaging, like talking to me, like being super nice. And I'm just like, yeah. And she's like, okay. And she's like, do you want a picture? And John takes his picture. At, I don't even know were cell phones around then. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We, oh, yeah. Okay. So it's probably, you know, like a flip phone. Right. And you took our picture. And then she's like, all right, thanks. And like, I'm like, all right, bye. And I just, I literally couldn't speak to her because like, it was that up. like, yeah, it was that like, I was in awe of Sonny's presence. Um, and I mean, that's her legacy. <laughs> yeah. Like guys, I, I've met like Hulk Hogan and I didn't freeze up like that. Like I met Ric Flair and didn't freeze up like that. But, and I remember you being like, dude, like what happened? I don't I thought know, you man. blew your just, chance yeah, because I just, yeah, she was uh, at that point, you know, sort of coming out of the wrestling business and going into some other things. But I thought you blew a chance there um, yeah, man. to maybe have a sunny day, one sunny day. Yeah, unfortunately, um, uh, her legacy nothing happened. Yeah, her legacy is what you said. She was um, striking as far as a visual beauty. And you know what? I'll even go a step further and say she was talented as a performer to engage the camera engage the audience you know what i mean like mm -hmm. she wasn't a wrestler never was never tried to be yep. but we talked about um you know her imagining the body down has had a little thing with the smoking guns lod 2000 we talked about yeah Obviously, i mean she did manage like what three different teams to wwf tag, tag team gold yeah so she's so. absolutely yeah an accomplished manager yeah i wanted to bring up sunny i also want to quickly <clears throat> quickly bring up um Marlena, aka Terry Runnels, and mm -hmm. Sa and Sable. I, I know those are two big ones, but different careers. 
but also around that same era where we were being given like in pop culture, it was like Jenny McCarthy, Pam Anderson, this like blonde bombshell thing was like kind of just beaten over our heads in the mid nineties. But in like wrestling, like these girls were just as hot, if not hotter when you talk about Sonny and Sable and then throw Marlena in there who was doing the stuff with Goldust, which I thought completed his character. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about Terry Reynolds who had a managing you know, career besides just gold dust, but Terry Runnels, Sable, talk about them real quick. Yeah. So Terry, I actually first saw in WCW as uh, Alexandra York and the York foundation. So they would like use the computer to, you know, calculate how to win matches and stuff. It was pretty funny. Um, If you get a chance to go back and watch it and she managed uh, Terry Taylor and, Richard Morton, formerly mm-hmm. Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express. Um, Terry Taylor became Terrence Taylor. And uh, yeah, then she went on to the WWF with her husband, Dustin. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting because Dustin kind of had, as gold dust, this like androgynous character. And, you know, kind of they implied that he was like, gay or whatever and then they introduced this woman and it's like oh it was like you know to quote marty piper just when you think you have all the answers they change the questions and i thought it <laughs> yeah you know i thought that it gave the gold dust character like another layer because then they started like kissing and stuff well not even kissing licking each other i don't know if you remember that i do but um yeah like it was uh it was interesting for sure and then after that, like she went on and did the whole she had a whole thing, man. She was out there doing swimsuit competitions and doing Well, she that. remember she had the uh, brief pretty mean sisters uh I was alliance. about to say the PMS okay. thing, yeah. So Yeah. Yeah. If Terry Runnels was, you know, thrusted or pushed into like having a quote unquote wrestling career that did not seem comfortable for her. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that, you know, absurd dumb brown panty shit that like at the time seemed appropriate now it's just like quick skip you know what i mean it just doesn't seem like it has a place in wrestling but yeah i think with terry the marlena thing is always what i'll go back to because those vignettes that i believe are some of the greatest vignettes ever to introduce a character um or at least advance a character the stuff with her and gold dust uh around the hollywood walk of fame and back lot of hollywood and mm-hmm. all that stuff was so well done and he, she was sort of like the the boss you know like she would sit there with the cigar yeah sort of like gold dust would be like submissive. and her director chair yeah exactly the director and um it was great what about sable and how she transcended all that like we talk about managers and, yep. and she became a wrestler a female champion mm-hmm. but, and ultimately she did have a successful career as a wrestler but just as far as a manager that brief stint i guess you can call it brief right because her with mark merrow was not that long of a run no not at all and she actually first started with triple h hunter right. helmsley she ends up going with the wild man, Mark Merrow, which was pretty much, I always felt like that was kind of like a, a macho man wannabe gimmick. Did you get that vibe? Yeah. You mentioned that before I didn't at the time, but I do now 
I like see what he looked saying. bad because he like was being a little bit aggressive. Yeah, and he's, well, before that though, like he's got he comes out in the robes, you know, like the sequin robe. He's got dark hair. He's got a beard. Well, he had a goatee or whatever. Like he had the beautiful woman in like the evening gown accompany him. I just always got like Macho Man vibes from that. I you know, not yeah. not done as good, obviously, but. I felt like that's kind of what they were going for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, talk about somebody that like just transcended and just left marrow in the dust. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he liked it at the time because his wife was making them rich. But Jesus, man, like there, yeah. there you go. There's another one. Like, what is her legacy? You know, like because she was one of the hottest women ever in wrestling post for playboy in America. Like, yeah. At uh, one yeah. A hundred percent. Like, you know, her playboy was one of the top selling playboys, you know, she was in the Corky Romano movie, which was like, you know, silly, but it was a big motion picture. Like no, she transcended I mean, being in a movie is a big deal, you know, yeah. like whatever. Um, Frank's all time favorite. Sable. Yep. Yeah. Shout out to Frankie boy. I think um, with Sable, her legacy, like as the story goes, Vince brought in Mark Merrow to, to, to hire him. And Sable was with him, <laughs> his, his wife at the time. Yeah. And Vince didn't know her, didn't know she existed. And when the meeting was over, Vince looked at Jim Ross and said, you know what I'm thinking, right? And they were just both like, the star is <laughs> the female. We didn't mm -hmm. know she existed, but let's get him signed. So... Let's make sure she's part of the package. And eventually they worked it out. But um, I don't think anyone could have predicted how much she would take off as a personality in America. Like I said, cover a TV guide, like all the yep. mainstream crossover. And yeah, as a manager, it was short lived. But eventually we might talk about Sable. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, she form. did. She had like a pretty good like women's career back when like there weren't a lot of women's matches you know like and she actually had matches too like she was doing power bombs and she was actually you know being physical it wasn't just you know like the lingerie matches or whatever other bullshit they had at that time right so like certainly i'm not discounting her as a wrestler or a manager but i think she was just a fucking big personality that people tuned in to see no, dude, she, you know, she ended up having deals with Pepsi and guests like big, mm -hmm. big brands in America. And unfortunately, a lot of that wrestling stuff came at the expense of women like Luna and yep. women who really worked for it. But Jacqueline, Tori. Jackie Moore, Tori. But um, Sable, the manager, was a sight to behold, much like Sonny, much like Terry. I want to talk about three of the greatest managers to ever live. And on the end, you can kind of we'll do a quick fire of fun managers that maybe are overlooked. But the first one I want to bring up is Captain Lou Albano, who if you go back and watch 80s wrestling everywhere you turn, no matter what match or part of the show, you're probably going to see Captain Lou because he dominated, especially all those TNTs. If you go back and watch those, he's on there almost every week and he's just such a vibrant personality to the point where it looks like Vince loves him, but also hates him because he doesn't know when to stop like captain Lou Albano was so over the top, but this is another guy who was a wrestler before becoming a manager. We never knew that as kids. Like when I go back and look up captain Lou Albano wrestling pictures, 
he looks like a, a Danny DeVito Taz <laughs> cross like mixture with tights on like a tough guy. It's just funny to see it. But he eventually ended up guiding 15 different tag teams and three different singles competitors to tag to championship gold. And I just feel like the mainstream crossover with Cindy Lauper, the rock and wrestling. He's the guy that I think of almost immediately besides Super Piper, Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers. But the story goes, Lou Abana was on a plane, happened to sit next to Cindy Lauper. They knew nothing about each other or their careers. They talked a bit about music, about wrestling. Before you know it, Captain Lou convinced her to come in and maybe do a little something with wrestling. He bridged the the actual, you know, the link between rock and wrestling is Captain Lou, which has nothing to do with his manager uh, stuff, which we'll talk about here. But I just think it's hard to put into words like the importance of that chance meeting that Cindy, like that Lou Albano happened to be sitting next to her because it did change wrestling into sports entertainment for good. And um, I wanted to bring that up because you have the wild Samoans, you have the Valiant brothers, the blackjacks, the moon dogs, but that's what I wanted to get to. The bulldogs was, were when I first started watching wrestling and go back and watch some older tapes, I would see him with the Bulldogs. And these were guys that were two of the best wrestlers, but they were a little clumsy and awkward in interviews. Mm-hmm. So how do you fix that? Give them this loud mouth. Um, great combination. Great mix. What did you think as a kid of seeing <clears throat> Captain Lou? Because you're seeing a little bit of it live right towards the end or oh, yeah completely... yeah you've seen some live captain oh yeah lou, i saw right? some live captain lou and that's a good point um that you mentioned about uh you know being the mouthpiece and i think that it's something that has been missing the last like few decades in pro wrestling like because you know it's always like oh well he's a good wrestler but he can't talk get him a fucking mouthpiece right <laughs> like it's not rocket science, man. Wrestling's been around for a very long time. Like, if the guy can't talk, you know, go get him a mouthpiece. Brock Sometimes, Lesner. there you go. And look, look, like what we said, like, without Paul, like, he doesn't have the career that he does, you know? Like, you can have a giant ass kicker and you can look like a million bucks, but, like, if you're trying to, you know, sell a story, like, that's kind of hard by just going out there and just like beating somebody up, you know? So some of these great wrestlers are terrible actors, terrible talkers, yeah. but look at a guy like a Paul Heyman or a captain Lou, if they can take that, that person who's a little flawed and make their story compelling. And it's tried and true. Like you said, why it's not done now, why there's a dying breed. I think it's uh people maybe don't, they don't want, they're not up to the challenge of that job. Like they'd rather maybe be flip-flopping wrestlers all or nothing. Like I'd rather take bumps and get, you know, this is awesome chant than hone my craft as a guy who can stand in front of a champion and get them over. Like maybe they're not up for the challenge to do the work. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't know why they don't do it more often, but yeah, man, that's a perfect example of like the importance of a manager as captain Lou Albano, especially with, the British Bulldogs, you know, they're two guys with accents, you know, back in the eighties, like that was weird to hear people with an accent, you know, you couldn't quite understand them maybe. So 
you know, get a guy like Captain Lou, who's a man's man and a, you know, an American guy, you know, from the same neighborhood as you and like send him out there with these Brits and you can get behind them, you know? It's funny you mentioned American guy because you remember when when he was put with um, the U.S. Express, Wyndham mm-hmm. and Rotundo. And um, it was just such a stark difference from because he was a heel like this guy yeah. was a hated, hated heel. And then how do you turn a guy babyface in the 80s while you just make him an American sympathizer? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And before you know it, he's a lovable, you know, chipper, chipper guy. But Captain Lou, like the stuff with with Nikolai and and. There's so much stuff with um, Captain Lou that gets overlooked. I feel like that he's one of those like 80s figures. Like I said, when you think rock and wrestling, like it's Piper, Hogan, Snuka. Captain Lou is like one of the five that comes to oh, mind yeah. when I think of 80s yeah. uh, wrestling personalities. For sure. The Goonies. And like you said, without that, that, you know, without that chance meeting, things are different, man. Things are different. They never would have turned out to be uh, how they are. So, yeah, Captain Lou have to show him some love. And with the Grand Wizard and the next guy I'm going to talk about, these were the three managers that were considered like the triad of terror or whatever you want to call it, where if you wanted to win championships or, or make a name for yourself, you would go with the Grand Wizard, you would go with Captain Lou, or you would go with this guy who I just, as the years go on, this guy to me is like, top 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 of the ladder as far as importance and heel work real heel work classy fred freddie blassie another manager who was so good at portraying obnoxious and all that stuff but also true to his name kept it classy like (laughs) i watch him next to vince mcmahon sometimes in some of these old shows he's owning the room like Vince is looking at him with like stars in his eyes. Mm-hmm. I swear to God. And it's just like, you're watching a guy that, um, yeah, Ric Flair, like you can mention guys that just drip charisma, but I think Freddie Blassie, you know, is an OG when it he comes all, to charisma. Yeah. He had that. Um, he definitely had charisma, but he had the thing. He was an older guy and you kind of looked at him as like, uh, like the big Don, you know, exactly. Like, like, you know, like he he knew a lot, you know, like a guy that's been through it all. And like you would you would want to listen to him because you might learn something. You know, that's always kind of the impression that I got from Fred Blassie. And uh, I remember Gorilla calling him the fashion plate. Yep. Yeah. Which I always loved. Um, that's yeah, a good man, way just... to put it, though, like that he was the Don or the boss. Yeah. And um, you he probably owned the room. I'm sure he owned the locker room. I'm sure yep. he owned the pl- airplane or whatever yeah, I mean, office they were respect, in. Respect, you know, like for sure. Like I'm sure he had the respect of like everybody. You oh know, yeah. Um, You're like talking you about. Said, own... Sorry, go ahead. No, like you said, owning the locker room. You know, like oh, Mr. Blassie, how are you? You know, like I can see that happening. Yeah, and there's like pop culture trans translation with him as well. Whether it's um. There's Breakfast with Blassie, which mm-hmm. is a great movie. You have to get into that. But he's like a um, I mean, his 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 name is uttered in an REM song. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like there was always this mainstream crossover that I know people hate on, and we all right now are not like super geeked up on Logan Paul or Bad Bunny, but 
when it's it's cool when a wrestler transcends it into Hollywood, you know, like mm-hmm. he became so big in wrestling that like people took notice of him and he's just synonymous with pro wrestling from the 50s up to the 80s to like even the 90s. Remember when the WWF released sort of their opening video packages were always so oh, great. Oh, dude, I love that so much when he's sitting in the crowd. Yes, I love that so much. And it's like. This is this. We're talking about the same one. It's the voiceover of Freddie Blassie. Yeah, and he's just sitting in like the empty. Yes, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he he's in a wheelchair, I believe, or at least maybe he has a cane next to him. He's yeah, he's... he. Da- I think it was a cane. Okay, but he's sort of um hyping up this this. I think it was like a WrestleMania. I want to say it was like maybe WrestleMania fifteen or it was mm-hmm. fourteen. But um, his voice was just so powerful to get you ready for the show. And once again, owning the room, like you said, you can learn something from sitting under the Freddie Blassie tree. And then mm-hmm. I remember during the invasion with the, do you remember this? The WWF WCW invasion, they were getting their asses kicked. WWF was, you know, uh, angle wise and they needed a pep talk. So Vince, I believe it was actually Vince that was um, leading the charge. It was in the locker room. You could see everybody sitting down, all the WWF guys. I think it was Shane that wheeled Freddie Blassie in and everybody's staring at him. You know, even Holy on, shit. Even Undertaker. You guys can search this on YouTube. I don't remember that. Check it out when we're done. But um, everybody's looking at him and he stands up out of the wheelchair mm. and does a speech to go like kick WCW's ass mm-hmm. and I, you know, JBL or whoever's in the... And they're all like ready to fight and mm. you know kill for this guy and um you know that was much later on but dude what oh, a that's career. awesome do you remember that yeah i remember I that don't, i don't remember that yep i remembered that one um also you know you have to talk about the fact that he he was the guy next to the sheik when when uh bob backland's reign ended you yeah. know it was it was it was classy <laughs> with the iron sheik which made no sense to me ever when i was no. a kid <laughs> why like why was he with the iron sheik but you know yeah nikolai volkov needed that meal ticket as girl would say meal to he even managed jesse um classy freddie blassie for sure someone if you go down the list of guys he managed ivan call off killer khan george animal steel there's a long long list kamala he would just another one that you couldn't turn without seeing him and it never really some of them didn't compute like his stuff with kamala like i didn't get it but now yeah um, I wanted to mention him and then I wanted to at least save this guy for last because I think he deserves a little attention. Managers, who's the first guy you think of? Bobby the Brain Heenan, baby. Bobby the Brain Heenan. The greatest of all time. I don't really think there's a debate. Is there? I mean, there's I... there's always going to be a debate, right? There's always going to be someone out there that, you know... Again, it's a generational thing sometimes, like somebody that who knows, you know, I'm I think that universally he's probably looked at as the greatest wrestling manager of all time. He certainly is with us. Yeah. And it's our podcast, so tough shit. You have to listen to us. <laughs> well, I, Bobby Heenan though. Yeah, because I once said on this this show, um I think people can make an argument about Paul Heyman being like mm-hmm. one of the greatest managers of all time. And even right now, he's actually adding more fuel to that fire. Bro, longevity is a thing, man. Yeah, tonight there's something Polly, going on with Polly's, longevity. Uh, sure is. Mr. LeBron James. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Um, Yeah, he's going to do it, by the way. 
Yeah, in three quarters. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in less games, because that'll be the I know it's not a sports show, but I gotta talk about this. The hate that this guy gets is just fucking mind blowing to me. The hate on LeBron. This is a guy that from day one was dubbed King James. So imagine the enormous amount of pressure that this guy from day one dealt with. And here we are, what, 19 seasons? Is that how long he's been around? He's the all-time scorer in NBA history. Like Passing one Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah, can we stop, like, killing him? If you don't like him, it's okay. But, like, come on, man. Four NBA titles is a fucking accomplishment. I and, I finally stopped my LeBron hate when he came back from 3-1 and he, you know, they beat the Warriors. And I realized that this dude um, is inhuman. He's superhuman. He's never been someone sort of like John Cena. Like, remember how Cena was a little awkward in the ring? Wasn't the mm-hmm. best. That, yep. LeBron's a little clunky, you know, mm-hmm. with his dribbles. He's a bulldozer. But, man, he's not the best shooter. But... He's going to end up all-time leading scorer, and he's already just passed Steve Nash all-time he's, assists. Yeah, I was going to say, he's like <laughs> so, top, what? Five. Five assists leader, too. Like, that's a big deal, man. Like, liking somebody is one thing, but, like, can we stop diminishing this guy's, like, what he's meant to the well, game? Well, I think you got to get to, maybe you get to an age, maybe not, because I watch these, like, talking head sports dudes, and they just can't stop, like, hating. But I feel like you get to an age, and it's like, you could like not like a guy but like you got to respect for sure guys you have yeah. to I, I mean you know like i'm a philadelphia eagles fan not really big on like division rivals but like i can i can emmett smith was a great running back you know what i mean like you have to acknowledge like greatness and like we're witnessing greatness and like for this guy to do it in his 19th season, what he's doing mm-hmm. is a testament to his conditioning. Yep. His, his fucking commitment. Like you never hear bad things about this guy as far as like, you know, getting in trouble with the law, you know, all this kind of off the court bullshit. So like congrats LeBron on your scoring title, you not scoring title, but all time leading scorer in NBA history, like him or not. The dude deserves your respect. Longevity, 19 seasons. Michael Jordan played 15, took two off for baseball, and then retired for three, came back with the Wizards. Just to throw it out there to defend MJ for one second on LeBron's night, if Jordan didn't take those five years (laughs) off, maybe LeBron still chasing MJ. But that's Uh, not the case. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we'll never know, right? But I did, like, because, you know, I'm an I'm a Jordan guy, so I had to like look at all the stats and stuff and see how many more games he has a shitload more games. I think it's like it has five, to be close to four hundred. Yeah, maybe? I think it's I think it's almost five hundred mm. more games. But yeah, man, whatever the case, congrats, LeBron. Yeah, I know people don't care. Congrats, about LeBron. I think he's you know <laughs> he did it on a skyhook, if I'm not mistaken, too. So yeah, I actually didn't think he would do it because i thought he would want to do it because they play i think tomorrow is a nationally televised game oh no this is on tnt tonight oh this is on tnt yeah yeah oh, okay is, i must have my days confused all right well yeah that yeah makes perfect and, sense that and i knew it. he'd do it in three quarters because i just knew this was the, this is lebron man it's his yeah. world it's his world congrats to lebron that's just it's fucking crazy and it is it's phenomenal and, it's and an accomplishment 
And as I got older, Kareem's another guy I dove back and looked at. And I think there's so many arguments you can make for him being the goat. But right oh, yeah. now, LeBron, uh, LeBron is owning it. Speaking of goats, we got we got to talk about Bobby, Bobby the Brain Heenan. That's where we were going with this. Hilarious in wrestling, oh, it's very God. hard to be funny, but he's hilarious, outrageous. He was he was just an absolute one of a kind personality. And I think some argue that he's the greatest wrestling personality that ever existed. Whatever that means, you know, I guess we're talking about manager, color commentator, all that combined, right? Bump taker, wrestler. I mean, he did have a small wrestling career. Yeah. What do you think of Bobby first when you think of Bobby the Brain? Like, what's the first thing that comes to mind? It's funny when we talk about him. No, the first thing I do is I smile. Hmm. Because he was just, uh, he's just ridiculous, man. Like, um, so much, you know, like from him and Gorilla, like probably my all-time favorite commentary team is Gorilla and Bobby, how they would just bounce off of each other. And Bobby was just so quick-witted, you know. Um, and uh, another one that, like, you could – he kind of made you see his side of the story when he was a manager, I thought. Like, um, you know, I, I remember Hogan and Andre. When Andre turned on Hogan, uh, Bobby being like, you you never gave him a title shot, you know? Mm-hmm. like, And then, you know, obviously that led to WrestleMania three, but, like, a lot of that kind of stuff where you could, like, see his point of view. And then, um, yeah, man, the, the Heenan family, like... Well, I want to I want to talk about Bobby real quick from um, just a little sort of chronological thing because he actually suffered that neck injury um, in a match with Onita that would limit his wrestling career. This was mm-hmm. 1983, and it's funny because that would come into play later with the Brian Pillman thing when Pillman tried to like grab Bobby oh, in a live rocket, and he, Bobby freaked out. We it was the first <laughs> time on wrestling you heard the f word. Yeah, but um. Bobby was going to be probably a pretty talented wrestler. Maybe he found his niche more so as a manager. It's it's debatable how he was his wrestling career would have went. But yeah, dude, you talk about not only the commentary, but him coming in managing Stud and Andre and just all these guys, Ken Patera, Paul Orndorff, Ken Kong Bundy. The Brain Busters. We could go on and on, uh, ravishing Rick Rude, Mr. Perfect. We can go down a long list of all the people he's managed. But it was all the Heenan family. It was dubbed the Heenan family. And it's such a cool concept because I think he brought that everywhere from the AWA up to the WWF. The Heenan family was always his thing. You know, it was always mm-hmm. his brand or whatever. And um Talk about these guys that were all like aligned together to basically tear down Hulkamania at one point, right? It was just that was the whole goal. Yeah. Um awesome. I remember like the Survivor series that we covered, like the the Heenan family, and like you know, they were doing that promo and like the amount of talent, like just in that like little picture, you know. Mm-hmm. And um mm-hmm. I think my favorite that he managed you know, them together were um, Bobby and Mr. Perfect. Because I love Rick Rude, but, like, I just felt like Bobby and Perfect were such a great match. And, um, you know, like, Bobby would, you know, 
Mr. Perfect would flick the towel to Bobby and like they just had such great chemistry. And uh I mean I could talk for hours about Bobby the Brain Heenan. Again, if you're listening and you don't know about him, because it's quite possible, because you know, he hasn't been on wrestling in twenty years, go back and watch some of his stuff because it'll absolutely be worth it. Um commentary, him and Gorilla, like my buddy Teddy will randomly send me like little excerpts of them guys just look <laughs> like, you know, Bobby will make he'll break Gorilla, you know, while they're while they're doing commentary and make them laugh. And I think one telltale when he got Gorilla, Gorilla would always be like, would you stop? Because he would just try to like cut him off because Bobby was cracking him up. And um, I actually have one huge regret as far as um like going to a convention and unfortunately Bobby got sick and he had to have like part of his jaw removed and he was really looking in bad shape and he went to a convention and I just didn't have the heart to face him because like I just felt like they're putting this poor guy out here you know like in front of these people but I never thought maybe he wants to do this and I remember I was at a convention. I just couldn't face him because like he was just not the dude that I remembered, you know, and I do kind of regret that because like he was still Bobby the Brain Heenan. And he wanted to be there. Know? Yeah, he I wanted mean, to be there for the fans, according to knows? him and his yeah, wife. Exactly. And like, you know, you go back and you you know that now. But in the moment, I just felt like they were kind of like. I don't know. No, I get it. I mean, it was very, very hard to to see and look at. It was hard to do. It was unrecognizable. But I don't want to talk about more of the good stuff with Bobby really quick. No, no, for sure. Because he was a broadcast journalist at the end of the day. That's at least (laughs) what he labeled himself. And um, it was cool that he was a commentator and a manager simultaneously. I mean, you would think it's really difficult to do. But, like, I mean, this guy's on the road every day of the year probably back then. But it's like – if Corey Graves wanted to be a manager right now, you know, um, hypothetically, he could commentate and manage. Like, you're just so pigeonholed nowadays into one thing. But Bobby was doing it all, like, mm-hmm. at the same time. And it's just weird to think that, that he was so good at two things at the same time. Like, he'd be commentating and in the midst of it, go out and, you know, manage Hercules, you know, <laughs> in a match. Um, I just thought it was so cool that he's his voice was part of two of the biggest moments probably more but like the two that pop into my mind are and maybe the maybe the calls aren't the best okay three moments i got three now in my head but Mm -hmm. like he's so great but the three moments that stand out are the barbershop window when sean throws janetti through the window super kicks him first and bobby's like i knew he was gonna do that (laughs) <laughs> like he's got to get his like a little well it was and... it but it was funny because it was immediately after he said oh they're friends again everything's great and then he says oh i knew he was gonna do it right and then he says did you see that janetti tried to jump through the window <laughs> to, <laughs> avoid, to escape yeah. to escape and then yeah. you got the flair call when flair wins the royal rumble he's just just freaking out he's so biased in the match it's hilarious <laughs> yeah. but it's just like so over the top and then the other one I just thought of is when the NWO forms. Yeah, that was a it's funny because I agree with you as far as a memorable moment, but he kind of fucked it up. Right. And I don't want to yeah. bash on it, but it's just yeah. interesting because he's just he was part of three of these 
life-altering moments in the, in the history of wrestling probably more if, if you could think about it leave it in the comments but he did have that whole other career in wcw as a commentator which was a different style of bobby uh maybe because he didn't have gorilla to play off of but it was very wrestling centric bobby very rah-rah wcw bobby especially during the nwo stuff yeah. he was a big bill goldberg fan you just mm -hmm. he was no longer a heel well i think he was a heel until the nwo happened and, you know, when you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Like, these guys are, like, fucking with his money now, right? Like, they're going to shut down WCW. Fair. Because, like, when, when Regal was out there and when, you know, Jericho was out there, like, he would still put it over the bad guys as long as they weren't NWO bad guys that were, like, invading the company that he worked for. That's so true. I felt like that. I felt like that kind of makes sense, you know? It does. So he just became like Goldberg's number one fan, which was yeah, the like man. I was the man, yeah. you know. And um, he was a part of that call when Goldberg won the title. Yeah, I mean that was huge. You know what I mean? And his excitement, like no, pick him up, pin him, like don't right. waste time. You know, yeah. Right. It was a huge, huge moment. Even in, uh, all those years later, he was he was part of it. But yeah, you can't think about managers without thinking of Bobby the Brain Heenan, the Heenan family him next to Andre, you talking about him next to Mr. Perfect. And I think Kurt Hennig's legacy was cemented with Hen with Heenan being next to him. Oh yeah. 100%. And I just, I do. I think about Mr. Perfect, Ric Flair and Bobby Heenan aligned together. Three of the coolest dudes ever on one team as a unit. And like the stuff that they were doing in that short window, because it wasn't that long of a run mm -hmm. together. But when I was a kid, it felt like forever when I was a kid, every month looking at the magazines and watching every Saturday morning and talk about adding um, credibility to a package like Ric Flair is like, you know, the goat or one of the goats, Mr. Perfect's right up there. And then you got Bobby and Bobby held his own Bobby. Oh, yeah. With them, you know, so just amazing. Just amazing stuff. Um, and and then when uh, when Perfect ends up turning good and teaming with Macho Man, we all remember that little moment, you know, because, you know, uh, he I forget what happens. Something happens like Bobby saying, well, no, Mr. Perfect's not going to be his partner. And then Perfect freaks out on him. And then how much he puts over of how scared he is of Mr. Perfect. Yeah. Like, he's like, please, please. You it's know, on prime like, time, just, right? I think. Yeah. Yeah, he could he could do it all. You yeah. know, he could he could just do it all. He was he was hilarious, but he was like, you, you know, you love to hate him. And he was such a great commentator. And yeah, man, in my yeah. opinion, I mean, I would put him up there with not only, in my opinion, greatest manager of all time, but for sure, like greatest personality commentator, whatever you want to put him in. Absolutely. Um, I want to mention a, a few on the, on the way out, and I'm going to mention these kind of quickly and anyone in the comments listening, uh, you know, Spotify, Apple podcasts, you can also check us out on YouTube. And if you are on YouTube, you want to leave some comments or on our Instagram at no sold underscore podcast, you could, uh, you know, check in with some of your thoughts on managers who you think are some of the more underrated managers. Maybe, maybe you don't think Bobby's the goat. Tell us who you think is, um, these ones I'm going to mention quickly, but I'll leave you to have some comments if you'd like, just because they were important and there are so many more that we're not going to be able to get to. But I want to talk about really quick, Mr. Fuji, Slick, Paul Ellering, and sort of a under, in my opinion, underrated 
also kind of ridiculous, but Harvey Whippleman, because mm. he was around some big moments. Um, what do you think about some of those guys? Yeah, it's funny because I had a couple that I wanted to mention too, and you named them all except one, and I'll cover that. Um, Fuji, of course, I mean, he managed someone to the WWF title. Yokozuna, like that's a big deal to have, mm-hmm. have that on your you know, your resume, like, um, so we have that, um, slick. Let me go Fuji real quick. I did want to add, sure, since you yeah. mentioned the Yoko thing, I got to yeah. talk about the, the combination of him and Don Morocco, which oh makes my God. zero sense. But if you go Hilarious. back and you watch Fuji <laughs> Vice and you watch how much Vince McMahon, oh my God. was his fingerprints were all over this and I could see it when he's interviewing Morocco on some of these shows back in the day and Fuji. And it's just like, I think it's the charm. Like Fuji was charming, mm-hmm. and, and, and you you know he was quirky and like very um, like sort of devious, witty, yeah, devious. But as, also as Gorilla Monsoon would call him, the very devious, the devious one. But the powers <laughs> of pain, the Berserker um, demolition, mm-hmm. you know, Fuji for sure. Another one you could throw in with Lou Albano as far as like even almost mainstream um, household name almost was mm-hmm. Mr. Fuji because it was like, you know, people knew his name uh, as a wrestling personality, but I just wanted to throw in that stuff with the Fuji vice in Morocco. Oh, man, Go ahead about slick though. The doctor. Yeah, style. The doctor style, the jive soul bro himself. Um, so slick, we, you know, we talk about trailblazers, pioneers, like, one of the first black managers, you know, mm-hmm. like there weren't a lot of black managers in the eighties and slick was, he's the first one I ever saw for sure. And like, that's a big deal, you know, like talk about like groundbreaking and paving the way for other guys to, you know, do what he does. So I definitely think we got it since the doctor style, a shout out. Yeah. I mean, he had guys like one man gang, um, who eventually became a keem, the African dream, but um, the natural butch read, the natural butch read, the big boss man. Um, so many guys slick did manage, but I feel like slick was not only Dr. Style, but like he had that sort of streetwise, you know, like <laughs> sort of um, hustler thing going on. Yeah. That was really needed, I think. And around that time to add some credibility to some of these guys that were just a little too cartoonish. He came in and tried to give you like some actual credibility as like, you're not going to get over on us. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm too slick. And he yeah. was Dr. Style was awesome. Um, did you want to talk about Paul Ellering or Harvey Whippleman at all? Um, Paul Ellering for sure. Like uh, there's another guy that actually did manage, like he actually handled the road warriors like you know booked them and you know handled their stuff that they didn't want to deal with and uh super intelligent guy always had a a copy of the wall street journal in his hand you know way back before you know stocks were like more of a mainstream thing like he was you know always very knowledgeable and always like struck you as an intelligent guy you know so yeah for sure i'm glad he uh was on your list yeah, and I just wanted to mention Harvey Whippleman really quick because I always think about the giant Gonzalez thing, you know, and Adam Bomb and 
obviously there was a brief period where he was with Sid and that's how I got introduced <laughs> yeah. to um, Harvey Whippen was with Sid Justice and how dominant he, do you remember when, how dominant Sid was when he first came oh in and God. when he would ram people into the ring posts on stretchers and yeah. power bomb them th- like through the ring almost. Yeah, and Harvey Whippen would hit their face. Yeah. And Harvey Whippen reminded me of like the, the evil um sort of like doctor, um, <laughs> yeah. You know, like sort like of like a mega man. He was or... Frankenstein and he was, uh, Sid was Frankenstein's monster. Exactly. Perfect. Perfect. Was there another one you had? Yeah, I had, um, like you said, like there's going to be some that we definitely, you know, forget about. But I did want to talk about another kind of trailblazer um, that started out again as probably like a. He definitely started as a referee. I don't know if he like was a photographer as well, but. Teddy Long. Yes, good one. I wanted to mention Teddy too. Long. Um, again, another of the first like black managers, uh, managed Doom. I believe that was the first team that he managed. Mm. And uh Doom was fucking awesome. It was Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. They initially started out wearing masks, uh, but then they were unmasked and revealed as Simmons and Reed. And um, I mean, what a fucking career that guy ended up having. I mean all he around. Leaves, he, yeah, I mean, he becomes a manager in WWF, a referee in WWF. He becomes the SmackDown general manager. There's still memes and like little, you know, <laughs> little clips of you're going to face the Undertaker player, you know, like so like that guy's in the Hall of Fame now. Right. So like, you know, another guy that really fucking worked his way up. And I did want to acknowledge Teddy Long because that's anybody that like you know, gets into the business because they love it. Like Paulie that we talked about and like is able to like make a career out of it and really work their way up to the top. On general managers, a big deal, man. Like that's a, you're on TV, like every week, multiple times a week. So like that's a dude that really, he's been around the business for his whole life almost. Oh my God. And, in the 80s right he was with crockett and wcw and all that stuff but um yeah always around like you said as a manager but as a uh as a referee i should say but then as a manager with doom that stuff to me like completed that package Mm -hmm. you know and then um it's just funny how eventually it, it all translated into being a general manager and all that power he had and i never would have saw him that way but it worked you know Mm -hmm. it was really fun (laughs) And uh, yeah, Teddy Long's a great one. I would be probably beat up if I don't mention one other guy because I know this guy gets a lot of love in a lot of circles. You love this guy, I believe. And I know our Roman Zern loves this guy, but Gary Hart. I knew you were going to say that. Okay. Zern would have killed us. He would have killed us. But a pivotal, pivotal guy, a driving force behind, I guess wccw the world-class championship wrestling that golden years of those early 80s is one gary hart um what are for me for for gary hart for me it's the great muda exactly that's what i think of um again like slick i think he kind of had that like street wise you know sort of thing like he was an intelligent guy and like you said you weren't gonna like get over on him and like he dubbed um muda as like the pearl of the orient and uh 
it worked, man. As weird as that sounds, like those two guys probably don't work together. It mm-hmm. did, you know. And he ended he, up having a little stable in WCW. Do you ma- do you remember him with Terry Funk? Oh or, yeah. Yeah. The Dragon Master. The Dragon Master. Yep. And before that, I think the first guy that he managed in WCW might have been Al Perez. Oh wow. Okay. Like early, like eighties, like Okay. You know, like eighty seven, like before Muda. But what yeah, man, f- they, they had like a main event match, like the Dragon Master and I think Buzz Sawyer might have been Buzz in there. Buzz Sawyer was and, in there. Yeah. Yep. Dirty Dick Slater. Mm-hmm. What do you th- what do you think about uh what do you think is the reason people consider Gary Hart like one of the the best or unsung heroes? Mike, I can know. see unsung because like once again, like in Philadelphia, we didn't get world class wrestling. So mm-hmm. like we might have missed some of his stuff. I mean, in WCW, it was short, man. Like he had a short run there like i don't remember it being too long so i mean i think once again longevity is definitely a case as far as like when you crown like the best of something um and you know he meant he never managed a world champion right i could see that being against him but for sure i think um sort of an unsung guy i could see that yeah Gary Hart definitely gets a lot of love in a lot of circles. Um, we had to mention him. If you want to mention anyone else, managers that we didn't come up with, um, there's so many. There's a lot of valets. We could t- we could you know get into a long list of of female managers who have uh, come through and done a great job. Speaking uh, of valets, real quick, mm-hmm. I'm going to say one more because Frank and I both have love for her. Okay, and our boy Ed. Shout out to Big Ed listening. Francine. Mm. Gotcha. Enough, enough said. Still kicking it, too. Yep. Francine. Yeah, there's so many. We didn't even scratch the surface of ECW's managers. There's so many in uh, all promotions. But we wanted to show some love to some of the more notable ones, some that we think are the best. Um, if you have some, please leave them in the comments. Tell us all about uh, why managers are gone from the wrestling business today, and if you think it's a needed, uh, it's needed again. You got you have guys like Stokely Hathaway. We mentioned Smart Mark Sterling, Vicky Guerrero still hanging on. We still have Paul Heyman, thank Jesus, but it's a dying breed. Uh, real quick, just yes. before we wrap up on um, you know, new managers, I did want to mention one that I'm actually into in WWF, and that's MVP. Oh, good. good I think one. he does a really good job with Omas. He's um, he's very, I don't know. I feel like he brings something to the table. Like when he has a mic, I'm into it. Like uh, I loved him with the Hurt Business. Obviously, mm-hmm. that ended too quickly. But I did want to say, like, as far as managers go, I think he's one that when he talks, I'm actually listening. Yeah, he does command the screen. He's he's really embraced that role, too. And mm-hmm. one thing I'll say on the way out for me and how I think they could be utilized now, managers could be utilized now is, you know, there were rumors about this man wanted to make Adam Cole a manager and like how it's blasphemous and whatnot. And that might be true. But I do think there are guys that maybe are winding down or maybe 
your career is not going perfectly and you can embrace the role of being a manager. A guy I think would be a great manager. I know you won't love it, but this would mean we won't really have to see him wrestle ever again. <laughs> the Miz. Yeah. I think the Miz would be a good manager. Like, yeah. I don't know if he wants to do that, but we don't need to see him really in any other feuds or things. He's still in great shape, but you have guys that can talk, be annoying, get some heat, get under your skin. They exist. But um, you have to embrace the role. MVP's done a great no, job. No, and that. like, listen, I'm no Miz fan. I have respect for anybody that has, you know, done it for as long as him. And like, you know, I might not enjoy his matches, but like, the dude never fumbles on the mic. I'm I don't want to ever hear him speak. But again, <laughs> right. this is but this is, you know. Once again, as we talked about earlier, even if you don't like somebody, you can at least recognize when they're good at something. Miz is an average wrestler, in my opinion, but he can talk on the mic. And um, again, not that I want to listen to him, but I could he gets heat at least, you know, and I think as a manager, that's what you want. So, you know, if you want to get your guy over, come out with a guy that the people already hate. It's pretty easy. Yeah, he's one that pops into mind, but I agree with you. Cool. Yeah. Let us know in the comments that maybe there's some wrestlers you think that as they wind down, they could be good managers or uh, let us know this has been fun. We we had to get into it because like we mentioned, leaping Lanny Poffo, the genius, he passed away, unfortunately, a bit too young, sad, uh, you know, between Jay Briscoe, him, these guys, they're, they're, you know, they're heroes on TV and their personalities on TV, but it sucks when you lose them. And uh, we wanted to show him some respect. We hope we did. We talked all about managers. This has been fun. Next week, we're going to be talking about Leaping Lanny Poffo's brother, the macho man, Randy Savage. Probably going to be talking more about the genius and Elizabeth somehow <clears> next <throat> week because it all ties into the man, the macho man. I know you're looking forward to that one. Oh, yeah. Savage, <laughs> next week, we're going to have our man from the West Side back in action. He's All right, big... real quick, though. I mean, you're not going to give us a little bit of Macho Man right now when you're talking about him? Uh -huh. mm, I'm going to save it for next week. Uh, <laughs> going to have to tune in. You don't want to get a sore throat, <laughs> huh, brother? I know. I'm already losing my voice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Next week's going to be Mach for the East, East Connection here. This has been fun. I love you, Frank. We miss you, Frank. Come back to us. We'll see you next week. This has been No Sold. And that's the bottom line, because No Sold said so. <laughs>